Hello. Hi. This is Georgia and Kate from Nothing Rhymes with Murder. Join us on a global journey of murder. Yes. Every week we go to a new country and find a true crime gem, as well as some fun hotspots to visit. So remember, kids, life is a journey. Don't let murder stop you. Okay. Bye. All right. Bye then. Bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs> I'm April and I'm Steph and you're listening to The Thirst. This is our podcast about pop culture. In it we talk about films, TV, books, podcasts, haircuts, haircuts, <laughs> music and haircuts and haircuts um, specifically. Haircuts specifically. Um, this is our episode seven, yes. The Force Awakens. The Force Awakens, yes. I've been trying to think of hilarious episodes. They've mostly just been Star jokes. Wars. Puns. After this, I think we've run out now. Yeah, we've got no more because Star Wars just sort Unless we go to like the Friday the 13th series and then go, is there an eight? I think there's like a 14, to be oh, fair. we're good on that. Freddy, we're at Freddy versus Jason territory. We're in Freddy versus Jason territory. We're not actually. Um, you can find us online on Twitter. We are at the Thirst, SoundCloud.com forward slash the Thirst Pod. We're on iTunes. You can find us by searching the Thirst. Instagram. We're at the Thirst Pod. Um, the Tumblr that Steph doesn't believe exists. It's not real. The Thirst And if you want to send us some feedback by email, you can do. It's the Thirst Pod at gmail.com. Um, we like questions so please send us some um we usually try and do this every two weeks we're running a little bit behind we are a bit behind we had like a summer vacation summer vacay vacay. hiatus yeah um i had a holiday that was nice i had a brief holiday that was also quite nice yeah lucky us yeah um cool so let's just go straight into the news um a big piece of uh sort of celebrity news this week hot goss hot goss um was that anna faris and chris pratt that one was I wasn't anticipating that one. I didn't. I felt like love died. Yeah, I think it... I mean, it marks the end of humanity as we know it. It's I really, think. really sad. Um, the couple had been together for 10 years, I think. They met in 2007 while filming the romantic comedy Take Me Home tonight. Um, and they've been married since 2009. They've got one oh. son together, Jack. Um, they released a joint press um, statement. I love joint press releases. I know. Hers was a bit weird, though, because it was like... I think she posted it on Twitter, but it was a screenshot of a text message. Oh, oh yeah, when people do, like, little... But, I've like, been texting. Biebs does that. But it's a bit weird, though. Why not just do, like, a Like a press release. Or just a, a... Are you concerned that she wasn't using the right app? No, I just think for your weird. Like, she should have used notes and not iMessage. Yeah, but, you know, fine. Um... <laughs> I like that that's the thing I'm concerned about. Uh, yeah. The I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm slightly bewildered, but fine. Whatever about the, their, the demise of their relationship or my concern? No, about your or... concern. Um, that's fine. Yeah. That's how I'm dealing with the... Okay, the, that's fine. My, I get that now. Okay, you, you're like deflecting my emotion. I'm concerned about the demise of the relationship. I'm just... Um... It's pretty sad, though. What Does it seem it? mutual? Well... Oh, it's not, is it? Many theories are circulating on the internet. I mean, the couple themselves had been... Um, dogged last year at the end of 2016 um, with rumours about Pratt's involvement with female co-stars including his passengers co-star Jennifer Lawrence Mm. Um, Anna Faris herself has a podcast called Unqualified um, 
and she discussed on that during an episode in which she um, was chatting with her pal Isla Fisher. Um, she talked about the fact that she had been affected by cheating rumours surrounding her husband. Mm. She said, it made me feel incredibly insecure. Chris and I, we talk about this a lot. We grapple with a lot of ideas about being a public couple. Um, she admitted their relationship had been tested um, a year prior by some tabloid rumours about straining our relationship. She said she tried to ignore it, but she says, I just remember feeling so hurt in a way that bothered me because I didn't want to think of myself as somebody who could be affected by tabloid shit. Um, That's the thing, you just... I mean, it's the same as any kind of, like... I mean, obviously, it's to a much more extreme degree, but, like, if you hear a rumour about yourself in any capacity it's always really hurtful but also you're kind of disappointed in yourself for being bothered about it like yeah you feel definitely. like you should be able to just dr- brush that off i but, do think I mean, it must be quite strange being God, such a public couple imagine being they... a public couple and having people like thousands of people discuss how your husband might be cheating on i you. mean we're incredibly emblematic of the fact that we were deeply invested in their relationship mm-hmm. which we're obviously not a part of so it must be incredibly hard that people have got such strong opinions about kind of your personal relationship i mean she and um did a crossover episode with one of our favorite podcasts mm. my favorite murder um and in it she was talking with um georgia and karen and they did some um gave some advice to a caller about relationships um i've got a couple of quotes from it a lot of people online have been reading into this yeah, in the past couple of days, so it's very, very interesting. Um, she said to the caller, um, life is too short to be in relationships where you um, feel this isn't fully right or that somebody doesn't have your back or somebody doesn't fully value you. Don't be afraid to feel your independence if things aren't right. I made that mistake, I think, a little bit like I'm checking my relationship off the list. And if that would be the final piece of advice I could give you, that would be to know your worth and know your independence. That's quite interesting. It's a little, yeah, it's fairly telling, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I um, I really like Anna Faris. She seems, she really, seems lovely. Really, really down to earth. And um, I'm a big Chris Pratt fan as well. So it's He a doesn't, shame. he's a bit... It's really... Big... Is she actually splitting up with him because he likes, like, fucking fox hunting or whatever? Oh, I don't know. It's really interesting to have watched the evolution of Chris Pratt, especially, because obviously he's... Um... I can't read him particularly no, well. No, he's come to prom... You know, come... He's sort of his star has risen over the last few years, what with Jurassic world and then um the guardians of guardians the galaxy. Of the galaxy i mean yeah. i know and love him best from parks and recreation mm-hmm. in which he played andy dwyer but um, what was the horse program the horse program heartland was he in heartland i think he was in heart he was in yeah. everwood everwoods that's the one i'm thinking everwood. of not heartland that's no. the other one i everwood. loved him in everwood yeah so, um and he was in the oc as well of course mm-hmm. um so yeah it's been really interesting to watch him kind of rise but um you know perhaps his personal life has taken a little bit of a battering as a result so it's incredibly sad um we wish them all the best it'll be really interesting to see if any other kind of news and gossip comes out as a result um he's been quite quiet on social media in the last sort of week or so i think so um it's difficult to keep your private life private i know i hate that i love reading about that stuff but oh i know it's really addictive though isn't it what can you do um, another thing that was all over the internet this week, which was very relevant to um, our collective interests, was um, Channing Tatum has oh, been on this. So good. He's been on this press tour for Logan Lucky, which um, is the new film that he's in, um, directed by Steven Soderbergh, which is his fifth project um, in which he's been involved with Soderbergh. He did uh, Magic Mike, Haywire, Side Effects, um, 
and as well as Logan Lucky and also um, Steven Soderbergh, um, executive producer Magic Mike XXL. Mm. Um, Tatum's been driving across the US. The film itself, um, which stars Adam Driver, Daniel Craig, Riley Keough and Katie Holmes. Um, the plot of it's that two brothers, played by Channing Tatum and Adam Driver, attempt to pull off a heist during a NASCAR race in North Carolina. So I think that Channing's kind of seized this as the opportunity to do a big road trip about, across the US. Um, the, oh, that's been so fun to watch. It's been really interesting, it's hasn't been it? Great. I think he's so charismatic. It's very clever as and well. And so normal and he just seems super fun. The thing that um, got picked up this week was that he... Um, a, a video emerged of him at a gas, gas station, station dance party dancing with one of the cashiers who a bit um, of magic mike dancing yeah he's just brilliant i mean he's i it didn't occur to me that i fancied channing tatum until magic mike yeah but i mean because he's quite squeaky he's like brand for me yeah he's well broy. he definitely shaves his chest and it's just not usually my vibe no. but he seems like such a nice person and he can dance really well whilst doing like carpentry which yeah, is i'm really i mean, I mean we, it's up there on my list of like things to tick off Channing really. tatum diy fantasies yeah. yeah i mean we probably will do a magic mic episode at some point because um we have we definitely have particularly to do a magic strong mic. opinions about it um i just he just seems really down to earth mm. and really normal and pleased to kind of you know, like just feels. I don't know. I just get this impression that he feels very lucky to kind of. Be yeah, and I guess that. Yeah, and the whole point of the promotion of this film has been um, that uh, the road trip would give him a chance to talk to sort of normal people yeah, the and fans. yeah, the fans, and it's not just like press junkets. Uh-huh. Um, I think, uh, as well as the gas station dance party, uh, I don't know if you watched the mock interview with. There's like a, a young girl called oh, no, Ella. Oh, I haven't seen that. It's really good. So he does this mock junket interview, which is where usually when um, like the press come to like their hotel room mm-hmm. and they set up a backdrop and they have an interview and ask yeah. them loads of questions about the film. But he had dinner with a family and then let the daughter, who's like, I don't know, 10, sure. interview him. Um, and Amazing. they just back and forth uh, like ask each other questions. And it's really so funny good. and really sweet. Um, and also there's a video of him delivering saucy which is like some new like alcohol delivery service thing so they basically get him to deliver it to all these houses and people's reactions are just can you imagine so good i don't think i mean a lot of them scream i don't think i would i don't think i'd know what to do i think i'd go pale i think i'd just stare and then maybe close the door yeah close the door in his face kind of thing maybe I don't know. He is brilliant. I could watch hours of him talking. Yeah. Um, just very obsessed with that episode of um, Lip Sync. Oh, battle. my God. And he brings that up in the Junket interview. Oh, did he really? Yeah, because the the, uh, the little girl, Ella, asks who he who is more famous, him or his wife. Sure. And he's like, oh, I don't know, but she's definitely like, she did better in lip sync battle than i did Jenna so DeWitt she's probably well, more just seems super down to earth i love that they met on the set of step up well babes excellent film see the romance is alive we don't have to worry about chris pratt and anna no because sh- we've got these guys should we focus all our attention yeah trying tatum and Jenna DeWitt? forever cool. but everyone should check out his facebook page because those various yeah promo bits and pieces have been really it's been cute. it's been a, like a nice kind of i mean we talked before about the live promotional tour where ryan reynolds and jake gyllenhaal were bringing like this little mm. comedy duo and i do like it when actors who are doing promo for stuff kind of just go against the normal like you know doing vox pop yeah and, and i mean it's obviously it. um it's, it's obviously awkward. a good bit of uh, marketing there oh, but i also could 
imagine him coming up with the idea in the first place. Yeah. And then the company just being like, holy shit, this is a great idea. Yeah, absolutely. So. Well done, Channing. Um, Another quick bit of news, or it's sort of a blending of like a few little bits and pieces. Um, we were just going to have a quick chat about some of the trailers that have come out in the yeah. past few weeks. Because, yeah, it's been a little while since our last podcast mm-hmm. and we've had quite a few sort of TV and movie related trailers come out that have been really exciting and I'm really stoked on. Yeah, so there's been quite a few, hasn't maybe All we of could... a sudden there's like there's been kind of an onslaught. An of onslaught. Stuff. If we start with TV, Go. Stranger Things 2. I know. Came trailer, out, so that so... that was the Comic-Con trailer. It was, yeah. Um, amazing. I'm looking forward to it. So much fun. I'd, I'd been really sceptical. I mean, I absolutely adored the first season of Stranger Things. Yeah, but been... did it need a second season? Yeah, I mean, I felt it really, it ended in such an open end did way um which was obviously purposeful because i assumed they didn't necessarily know if they were going to get picked up but i also think as a kind of series it could have easily been like a limited it could have stood alone absolutely yeah um so when they did announce they were doing a second season i was very very skeptical but Mm -hmm. um yeah that trailer with yeah it's great it's like thriller. thriller it's got like a halloween sort of vibe backdrop yeah it's got a ghostbusters thing going on it just i mean yeah, Stranger Things was never not fun. I hope it's as great as the first season. I think it looks like it might be. Yeah, they seem to have gone all out or been more overt, shall we say, with the kind of 1980s throwback element, um, which I'm completely here for. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that a lot of kind of um, writing I've read about the kind of trailer itself since has been a little bit sceptical about how much they're trying to shoehorn oh, it what, in. it's too... Just because it's too referential. I mean, it is very... I mean full of 80s references but, but I, I, I mean i don't mind that <laughs> no absolutely i mean that I, I i think it's it's trying to be kind of um akin to a lot of those kind of 80s it's films quite fan servicey and i don't mind yeah, that yeah. either i'm I, always a fan of that yeah absolutely I'm a fan of fan service I'm me very very much looking forward to it um another tv trailer came out um for uh mind hunter which is an american drama um series from netflix which is slated to debut uh, on the 13th of october um based on the book mindhunter inside fbi's elite serial crime unit written by mark olshaker yeah, and john e douglas um i mean this is right up our street really isn't it absolutely i firstly i like that it's dropping on friday the 13th yes not sure if you'd realize that i hadn't noticed that no God i only damn. realized that um october has a friday the 13th um, when I was doing some stuff at work today, Brilliant. so I thought that was really funny. I mean, I'm particularly psyched on it because it's um, Dari- well, uh, it's from the um, mind of um, David Fincher. He's yes, of course. one of, of my favourite directors. He's executive producing and also he directed three episodes. Um, Fincher obviously is known for his kind of um, very, very amazing films i mean he directed zodiac which is mm-hmm. one of my favorite films yeah you know gone girl um the remake of girl dragon tattoo social networks i mean that's such a good back catalog absolutely Jesus. i'm i'm really especially looking... crime sort of crime related yeah, tv shows yeah, films in the last so good few years i mean obviously zodiac's very much rooted in true crime and mm-hmm. the, the um the trailer for mindhunter itself actually gave me kind of yeah that similar vibe totally set in the same time period yeah. Um, so I'm really looking forward to it. I'm I'm really interested to see how Fincher's kind of visual style, in particular, which is something he's known for, transfers to the small screen. And 
a more of a long form format. Mm. Um, so I mean, cast wise, there wasn't weren't a huge. I didn't amount of really names. notice anyone. Jonathan straight Croft. away. I don't think so. Um, he Who's played, that? He's in Glee. Oh, I Jesse don't know. And he's also in Hamilton, which you wouldn't necessarily I know. also wouldn't know, sorry. Um, the other lead, because it's two FBI agents, Jonathan mm-hmm. Groff plays one and Holt McClaney plays another one. Okay. Um, I looked at what he'd been in, but um, there are a whole bunch of TV things, but nothing in particular that was like, oh, it's that guy. Yeah, so, yeah. Quite That's quite nice sometimes, is yeah. to get a few fresh faces. Um, yeah, I think, it's, I think it makes sense. I mean, obviously, Fincher's known for big names in his films, but it's quite nice that for a... For the the show itself, he's gone for a kind of more of a low key cast list. Yeah. So. Do you think we'll get? I mean, Netflix has a a habit of dropping everything in one go, like the whole season mm-hmm. in one go. Do you think that was what's going to happen this yeah, time? Yeah, I think so. Which actually, so I'm, that could be a bit of a binge. Yeah, job. I don't know how I feel about that. Actually, it, it strikes me that this would have worked really well as a kind of week by week, week by week thing. Just. Because to give you more time to kind of stew on it in between. I do, yeah, I do like the process of being having to wait week by week for a new episode. Yeah, we've talked about that with Twin yeah. Peaks actually about how, mm. um, you know, how are you supposed to view it? Is it better to binge it all in one mm. if it's meant to be one? I mean, there are story? merits to both, definitely. But yeah. I haven't binged anything for a while, so I guess maybe that'll be nice. It'll be a nice kind of autumn thing. Mm. I mean, it's already been commissioned for a second season. So it must be all right Even then. though the first one hasn't aired yet. So. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's very confident, isn't it? Yeah, it totally bodes well. Um, some other things that emerged from San Diego Comic-Con as mm. well that I just want to touch on. Um, we talked about Stranger Things and how referential it is of the 80s. Um, there was a trailer for Ready Player One, which is an adaptation oh, of yeah. the Ernest Klein book, which is the, the whole premise of the book itself is that it's kind of an online gaming world that's set... Um, in the near future but um it brings in lots of elements of pop culture um so in the trailer there was the car from back to the future oh, okay yeah, yeah. from friday the 13th series i think even steven spielberg is um referred to in the trailer but okay. he's actually directing it yeah. so um it will be really interesting yeah. to see if that kind of uh lives up to the hype that's mm. been bestowed on it um something that i am not necessarily excited for because i really couldn't care less about marvel franchises generally but yeah the trailer for thor ragnarok um dropped yeah I, I enjoy thor the only reason i'm looking forward to it is one, chris hemsworth chris hemsworth but two um the new film is directed by taika watiti i haven't said that correctly i'm really sorry it's fine we'll put it in correction section Hunt for the wilder people oh brilliant and he is just generally which hilarious. is one of the best films for like ages absolutely big up new zealand yeah um so that will be yep. interesting to see what um he does with the franchise mm. itself i have a couple of others as well go on um the snowman Oh, came oh out recently. God. So, The Snowman, um, based on the novel by Joan Nesbo. I've in got it bin, to read. Oh, lovely. Yeah. I haven't read any Joan Nesbo. Um, <laughs> so I don't read know. One. Yo, Yo Nesbo? Joe Nesbo. Yo, Joe. Um, I've read The Sun. <clears throat> the only reason I've read The Sun is because Denis Venu. Denis Venu. Denis Venu. Um, Villeneuve. He... Right? Villeneuve. Denis Venuve. Um, is set to adapt it into a film starring, can Michael, you guess? Michael F- Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal. Of course it is. Good book though. That is the so least surprising I'm, I'm thing I've I'm into it. It's kind of like Scandi oh, okay. Prime. Yeah. E- easy reads. I don't, yeah, world. we like a bit of Scandi noir. Yeah. Um, the Snowman stars Michael Fassbender, which yeah. is also another positive. Um, it, I mean, the premise, as you can probably imagine, is about a serial killer um, that they nickname the Snowman. Um, and uh, Michael Fassbender is the 
I don't know, agent. I think he's sit, a police cop. Police cop, a police cop, cop, a police uh, who is uh, tracking him down. Um, I'd say, I mean, it looks like fun. I feel like there hasn't been a good sort of crime thriller film of that vein for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, looks fairly generic, to be honest. But I mean, that doesn't not necessarily a bad thing. I'll go and see it because it's Michael. It Frank seems a little Oliver. bit cheesy in a like. Yeah, that was my worry from the trailer because the voiceover was a bit cheesy. Yeah, and the like, fact that it's the snow. I don't you know, call it, him the snowman. Yeah, it's interesting because when I was reading the premise of the book itself, and I've I've I haven't started it yet, but. Um, as a book, I think it probably will work fine. Probably a bit more, but I'm just not. When sure. I say chilling, you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure how well it will transfer to the screen. So without mm, it being a bit, cringe. might be a little bit cheesy. But yeah, I, we haven't had a nice sort of crime thriller film following a sort of serial killer. Yeah, for it'll a while. be interesting. It's such a generic, you know. You know how it's going to go. but I, I will watch Michael Fassbender in anything. Yeah, so I reckon we'll be going to see that. We definitely will. Um, and also The Shape of Water, um, Del Toro's oh, newest yeah. film, which is actually not out until December, so we've got ages. Um, but I just wanted to touch on that as well. Um, starring Michael Shannon, which is a huge... I mean, that is a well, huge Well, we all know draw. how I feel about Bloody Michael love Shannon. Michael Shannon. Um Feels quite Hellboy, this trailer. Mm. I mean, it reminded me of Hellboy the most. Um, It's about uh, a woman who um, is hired to work in a sort of high security government lab. um, And she uh, is let in on a a classified experiment um, that is taking place in that lab with a sort of mysterious creature thing. And she bonds with it. Um, And she's a mute, which seems to be quite a, a... an important part of the storyline mm-hmm. um it's got a really i don't know the the trailer was really great it had that lovely sort of rhythmic quality of uh sort of music and action mm-hmm. um michael shannon i'm sure will add quite a dark element yeah, to the um... storyline i don't think it's gonna hellboy i feel is sort of like the lighter end of the del toro yeah. spectrum and i feel like michael shannon's gonna inch that along a little bit it's and really, it could get pretty dark it's really in i mean michael shannon i think is a very very interesting actor because i think even when he's in something where he's supposed to kind of be not just terrifying just not terrifying <laughs> like for example in midnight special oh yes yeah He's the dad in that. I still wasn't sure. I was waiting it, for something. Yeah, kind of I mean, we spent the entire time being like, is is this something up with him? What's... Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I... I'm... He puts you on edge. He's yeah. great at putting you on edge. He's Deeply unsettling, brilliant. but, like, in a way that you kind of want to engage with, as opposed to, like, nah. Yeah. <laughs> <So that laughs> nah. Nah. As opposed to, nah. Yeah, no, I'm, it'll be... Yeah, I'm excited for that. What was the last Del Toro film that we saw? Was it Crimson Peak? Crimson Peak. Crimson Peak, which was fine, should have been like my favourite film ever, just yeah. by the premise and the look of it. Two people it was fine. in it that I liked as well. So yeah, I mean it was fun. I've seen it twice. To yeah, be fair, okay. um, fun. Del Toro is a great director, so I'm, yeah, anything that he does, I will gladly. Go this and see. seems uh, like he's really yeah back on form. So that's news. Um, on to uh, things we're enjoying. I think last uh, podcast we did a lot of bits we were looking forward to um and this seems very much more retrospective uh music um i think we both uh have been listening to uh nine inch nails's nails's uh latest ep um ad violence which is it's the second in a trilogy um it's 
been released about a year, I think, after not the actual events. Which I was, was trying the first to think EP. when the last one came out. I'm pretty, yeah, I think it was last year, mm-hmm. around this time last year. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so yeah, it's the third, it's the second of a trilogy. Um, it's uh, it's Trent Reznor um, back with Atticus Ross, who is the only other permanent member of Nine Inch Nails, um, and also his sort of co-producer for mm-hmm. um, various movie soundtracks, uh, movie scores. Uh, the the last EP um, came with a physical component, um, so there was sort of a limited number of uh, records on sale, and if you bought one, it came with some sort of black powder sure. stuff, which is all very mysterious. Um, and I believe this EP also comes with a physical component, although I don't know what that is yet. Sure. Um, what are your thoughts upon listening? Well, um, I really liked the the first ep i mm-hmm. think it took a lot of uh, a few listens yeah. last year it was something i got super into towards the end of the year in the autumn which um often does tend to be what happens to me with bands like nine inch Nails yeah are a little bit heavier. less of a summer vibey yeah they're a bit heavier band. a little bit atmospheric so i always find it's quite nice to listen to when it's dark because like the um, aging goth that i am i mean mm. it's interesting that you mentioned Atticus ross because my initial takeaway from ad violence was actually that it seems a lot more in line with their soundtrack work than really do does together. it does um, the i can't remember maybe it's the second song on the ep in particular yeah lovers the lovers i think is the second yeah, song and I mean, that feels very much in line with some of the yeah, some of the schools and some of those. Yeah, it's funny there. actually talking about David Fincher because obviously um, Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor have done the soundtrack work on a lot of um, Fincher's films. Yeah. So, um, and that's the kind of thing that I immediately thought upon first listening mm-hmm. was like, actually, this reminds me a lot of their soundtrack work for, you know, Girl with Dragon Tattoo, Social Network, um, mm-hmm. you know, all of those films. It just had that similar kind of vibe. Yeah. So that's my, I mean, I mean, I, I can definitely see the, yeah. yeah taken the, that on board yeah absolutely ad violence grabbed me a lot more than you know first listening than, yeah. than the previous did so um i'm really enjoying it though yeah it's I'm interesting really i think the general consensus from critics seems to be that this ep uh, is stronger than the previous one mm-hmm. um i don't know i'm not completely sure um i think i my view is slightly skewed by the fact that she's gone away it was on the previous ep um, and that is for me like one of the best Nine Inch Nails tracks they've like ever released. I've listened it's to that song a lot in the last week. Or absolutely so. it's really amazing! Funny. It's amazing, and of course, it was in. It, it helps that it was featured in an episode of Twin Peaks. Um, it, I mean, it's such an amazing song, um, and so that does skew my opinion a little bit. Um, yeah. I think less than, which is the opening track. Um, has that kind of video gamey vibe it comes with a video game video yeah like the actual sure. music video was sort of like a video game um i think is fine i quite like it um the lovers is a bit i don't know slightly lower tempo mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't say dull but i'm not as bothered by no it, it doesn't necessarily yeah. flow. i mean it's yeah i i it, it's funny because it's made me just go back and listen to a lot of nine inch nails in the last um, a few weeks which is kind of what I'd been doing anyway pretty much um, since kind of they'd been on Twin Peaks it made me kind of just like I said I don't really ever listen to them in the summer but I was like oh I'm just going to kind of get back mm, on board mm. and it's made me go back and listen to their entire back catalogue again which is something I do now and then um, yeah you know I mean you're a huge Nine Inch Nails fan so. yeah I think um, I think I mean I found there was quite a nice um, quote from Rolling Stone 
um, from Corey Grow, who said uh, the five song EP contains all the aggression, objection and self-loathing that solidified his position as alt rocks. This is Trent Reznor, sure. uh, alt rocks, original angster, but with a measured restraint of a man his age, which I think is probably, yeah, how I would see it. Um, I, I don't think anything at this point is going to beat those first kind of three records. Yeah. Um, but I think they're not doing bad. It is Considering funny. how long they've been going, yeah, I, I mean, think they've is... picked up form. They had a little bit of a lag in the middle. I think all artists tend to yeah, put a foot wrong. I think even David Bowie had his fucking jungle years. Like, mm, you know, I, I mean, think Trent Reznor is... Yeah, I think Nine Inch Nails haven't lost it, although no, they've certainly I mean, progressed. Their, their back catalogue is really, really vast, so it is really interesting to kind of look at how they have evolved and changed over the mm. years. Um, I was pleasantly surprised... Um, the other day when I went back and I was listening to um, the record that came out at kind of the tail end of, well, sort of mid-2000s. Yeah, was it? With Teeth? With Teeth. Yeah, I mean, I, I was... She's pleas- got the hand that feeds yeah. on it. It's when Geordie White from Marilyn Manson. Yeah, was I was in. pleasantly surprised by yeah. um, how much I enjoyed that and I don't think I remember enjoying it that much at the time. So yeah, I think that's got a couple of really strong ta- tracks it just a couple wasn't of real like clankers yeah um but i think it has been all up i mean i actually didn't mind hesitation marks i quite like hesitation oh, marks yeah, really and a lot of people that. really pan that so no, I'm, I'm um i think yeah and I, I, this is definitely an ep that i can listen to that i can get on board with that i enjoy yeah, yeah, and it'll be really interesting when the third one comes out mm. to see how they all fit together as a unit yeah it'll be interesting to see won't it whether actually as a kind of trio how they kind of do work in conjunction with one another because i wouldn't it wouldn't put it past me um i wouldn't put it past um trent Reznor to have kind of orchestrated some kind of oh yeah you know absolutely but she's impact. gone away like has i would argue has proven to pretty much everyone that they are still yeah 100 percent. i mean i know that we would both really really recommend going and trying to find on youtube the um scene of them on oh so good because it's oh my god trent reznor is cool as shit he's so cool i just well i mean hands down one of the best live performances i've ever seen Mm -hmm. i saw them in paris three years ago and that was just like they blew me away for, for like you say, for a band that have been together for so long, yeah, to still absolutely kill it. He's like a that. he's a professional. I mean, I think early days not as professional. Uh, he's but nowadays I think he he knows his shit. He's a professional. He's a businessman through it yeah, as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, something that I would just like to touch upon more for the video than necessarily the song, but the song itself is great. Um, a couple of weeks ago, Charlie XCX um, oh, yeah. dropped the video for Boys, mm-hmm. which is a very, very catchy kind of pop dance song. If you're not familiar with Charlie XCX, I'd definitely recommend mm-hmm. just having a Spotify search for her. Um, the kind of excellent summer songs. Um, pop bangers. Pop bangers. Um, the video itself kind of got a lot of attention because obviously it's called Boys and the bo- the video itself... Just sums up our life, doesn't it, it April? Was, I, yeah, I mean, talk about things that are relevant to our interests. It's Charlie's not actually in the video herself. No, but just it's, boys. It's just boys. It's literally just boys. loads of boys. Um, the, great. The celebrity cameos are vast, but I would just like to read a few of them that are particularly relevant to our interests. Riz. Um, Riz Ahmed. <laughs> just stop there I, I shan't stop i will go on um riz ahmed um jack antonoff yeah um diplo mm. um mac demarco mark 
Ronson, um, Ezra Koenig and Rotsam from uh, Vampire Weekend. Um, hilariously, Oliver Sykes from Bring Me the Horizon. Yeah, um, less so that one. But... Chromio, um, Will I Am, um, who has Stormzy, Tinny Temper, Joey Badass, Frank Carter. I mean, unbelievable. Um, Heems from um, Sweatshop Boys. Um, who else have I got down here? Wiz Khalifa. Um, I mean, it's the list of um, appearances was very vast. Um, I like to think that she just like drew up a list. They well, were like, put together a list of boys in the video. and then let's just do it. We should do this. Oh my God. I just want to write my own list of boys that okay. I want in my music video. Next episode, <laughs> we will have constructed our ideal list. Session of... of the week, my own music video. Yeah, we'll construct our list of boys who we would have in our boys video. I it's like fantasy men, so. football, but with boys. Yeah, sure. That's fine. We like making lists. So yeah, um, yeah I mean, we'll we'll definitely link. I mean, I think I've already tweeted the bloody video about 50 times, but um, we definitely will link this again. It's brilliant. It's definitely worth watching if you indeed like boys. My heart has stopped. Cool, so that's music. Um, we'll go on to movies. We've seen quite a few things. I think we've seen a bloody lot recently. Yeah, I mean, you know? a lot of these could um, definitely have more time dedicated yeah. to them, but we'll try and um, skim through a couple. through them as quickly mm-hmm. as we can. Um, probably one that we, we, I think we mentioned last episode that we were greatly anticipating mm-hmm. was um, Dunkirk. Dunkirk. The new one from Christopher Nolan. Um, I, I mean, you may have heard of feel? him. You may have heard of him. Famous director. Um, um, thoughts it was very very tense um I very overwhelming uh, yeah i mean i came out thinking like i haven't been overwhelmed in the cinema like that for a very very long time i mean it was claustrophobic um just water oh so much water so much water i mean it was 90 minutes that didn't let go with the intensity mm. I, I was mean, surprised how short it was actually i thought i don't know blockbusters they just seem to be getting longer and longer and it was nice to have one that was shorter yeah i mean we've talked before about how nice it is to see shorter films so i was very pleased especially yeah we do talk Nolan, about that a lot don't we <laughs> we're just really lazy just, now yeah, um, i was impressed because christopher nolan is known for kind of having lengthy lengthy films mm-hmm. um we re-watched inception when we were on holiday oh yeah and um i just forget how long it is it i is love quite it quite a long film but though. it's just quite long i mean I, I will probably i don't know i might not regret saying this i think dunkirk is christopher Nolan's best film yeah i think it is i think in many ways i think technically the way that it's, it's just put visually together amazing. visually it's beautiful the music by Hans zimmer um is like I mean, it's it's pretty much like I feel like ninety percent of the tension was down to that music. It was making me feel like sick. the clock ticking and the yeah. slow build, um, the sound of kind of it was just the backdrop of war. It was just continuously kind of rumbling underneath, yeah, and it which, just made me feel sick. Which is what Han- Hans Zimmer schools often mm. do, and it's kind of it was interesting how um, yeah, that definitely ramped up the intensity in, in a kind of subtle way that I don't necessarily think you kind of were overtly aware of but yeah. then actually I think when I left and I thought about it I was like no that it was just this like constant noise it was, I don't think there was any time really that there wasn't music I mean there's so little dialogue in the film yeah but there is so much background noise the use of sound is really interesting it's... and it seemed um you know like you say with the lack of dialogue especially in the first 20 minutes yeah like, I mean it was, it's very yeah a lot of it was you know, I keep no, going back to the word intense but it was I don't think there's any other way of describing no. it though I mean there were some really really brilliant performances in it as well um 
you know top marks top marks guys i don't think there was a bad performance in it no and that's that's quite rare really i mean I've, i don't want to focus too much on harry styles because oh, so it was harry styles in it harry styles, broken record oh. i was surprised yeah i'd gone in with exceptionally low expectations for his performance because i feel like being fans of him you're we're automatically going to be biased but he yeah. was good and i've he spoken very to good. other people who couldn't give two shits so about have harry I. Styles, who've been like wesley brown right. does not give two shits about harry styles yeah. in fact i think he would rather not hear about it ever um sure. and he was like yeah it's great he was good um, i mean I, I i you know i really enjoyed killian murphy's performance as the kind of shocked soldier um mark rylance as mark the, rylance was... um gentleman on the boat who was um going in for the rescue going mission in for the rescue mission he was really really great fion whitehead who's the is it fion i think it's fion yeah um who's sort of a newcomer another newcomer um although obviously not uh as famous as harry styles um he's sort of i guess He's not the main protagonist, but he gets a lot of screen time. Um, he's the he's, person who kind of anchors the film. Yeah, I suppose. yeah, and he, I mean, he was he was amazing, amazing, really amazing. Yeah. Um, Kenneth Branagh is, I mean, a point, a real beacon of hope. I oh, think. Chuckles Branagh. Um, Chuckles Branagh. Um, Tom Hardy, Tom who Hardy. does the most wonderful acting with his eyebrows. Um, yeah, it's funny because um, he has a mask on. Yeah, most of the time, just always got a mask on. There's a thing going on there. Christopher Nolan has just got basically got a fetish for Tom Hardy in face gear. He has got lovely eyes. He does have lovely eyes and eyebrows. Um, again, I think Tom Hardy. I mean, I think Tom Hardy is someone that you know uh, is respected, but does sometimes get laughed at as you know oh well he just always has the same voice and plays the same role well tom has so, a running joke where he'll do he does like the bane voice for everything for tom Hardy. yeah that's just the voice right so i think having a role where he probably utters about 15 lines um and you can't even see his face for 99 percent of the film um really demonstrated that he is a great actor yeah absolutely i, mean, I thought that his kind of um there wasn't know, a lot to his role and yet he was a really central performance no but he him tom hardy and jack loudon mm. really played off one another as, yeah. as the kind of the airmen in the sky that were kind of you know that was their involvement mm. was, was in the air they weren't on the ground and i think that that was very much kind of like a duo mm. kind of performance and mm. they definitely played off one another um in that respect. Mm. I mean, I, I really liked it. My mm. expectations had been quite high for it. Yeah. Um, I do think Christopher Nolan is a great director. Mm. Um, and I really enjoy his films. Um, so I'd been kind of hotly anticipating mm. it. But, um, I mean, I haven't stopped thinking about it since. No, I haven't. Um, and I'd like to see it again. I think people, if they have the chance, should definitely see it at the cinema. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it, you need that overwhelming experience. really. I think it really. helps, doesn't it? Um, I enjoyed that, you know, it's not an epic quest. No. There's not a big adventure story. No. It's very much a snapshot in time and a really profound snapshot in time. It's something that I know about. It's a, a point in history that I know about, but I probably have never stopped to think about um, in that way. Um, no, I mean, I was talking to one of our friends, Jim, actually, after um, he'd been to see it. And I said that, you know... Um, 
I think it's our generation. I think you definitely grow up with the full knowledge that, you know, people that have come before us went through incredible Mm. hardships during the war. But it's only, I think, now that I'm older that I actually take into consideration that a lot of those men, a lot of those young soldiers Mm. were in their, they were barely out of their teens. I mean, they were younger than us, way younger than us. Yeah, and to actually think about the fact that that was something they had to deal with Mm -hmm. and then attempt to go on and live their lives when Mm. they're back to normality is just incredibly like, you know... I can't I can't even comprehend no. it. Um so you know, it's interesting to go and see films like this actually because I think the older I get the more that you you do become aware of the fact that like mm. you know, shit man, like we think we've got problems. Yeah, like, puts it in perspective. Definitely perspective, absolutely. Um, another film that we've seen fairly recently, a few weeks ago, um, that we'll touch on uh, is The Beguiled. Um, I think we've mentioned it a couple of times. We did mention it last time. We mentioned um, Sophia Coppola's win at the um, Cannes Film Festival. Yes. Um, and I think we'd mentioned that we'd seen the trailer for it and we were very much anticipating it um, based on the cast, which was incredibly good. An incredible cast. Yeah. I mean, really, what a lineup! Uh, Nicole Kidman, Kirsten Dunst, um, Colin Farrell, Elle Fanning. Um, I can't remember anyone else, but they're the main kids who are in stuff. Kids who are in stuff. Kids in things. The yeah. Kid from Southport. Um, yeah, kid from yeah. It's a it's a quite a tense Southern Gothic uh, tale uh, about an injured Union soldier who uh, goes on the run. He's a deserter uh, from the Civil War, and he. Uh, he seeks refuge at a, a boarding school, an all an all female boarding school, um, and uh, the 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 two sort of teachers left, and the students that are left uh, there um, uh, take him in and uh, take a quite an interest in him, as you would if Colin Farrell came and stayed with Bloody you. Bloody turns up in your garden. Um, I mean, you'd let him, you'd throw open your doors. Um, I'd welcome him in. I mean, it had a very, very kind of hazy vibe, which Sophia Coppola is kind of known very for Very virgin visually. suicides. Um, it kind of, I, I really love the, her adaptation of Virgin Suicides. Mm-hmm. I think in, in terms of um, book adaptations, it's definitely up there as being one of the best. And a lot of that comes down to the kind of atmosphere and the kind of, just the overall visual vibe that it it has, and I thought that the guard had something that was mm. kind of it had that kind of hazy southern heat. Heat, <laughs> yeah, that's a good way heat. of putting it. Um, and for a film that is very much uh, built on tension and lust, uh, yeah, I mean, it's... it's got it says interesting things about kind of what you know. It says really interesting things, I think, about what it must have been like to be a woman during that particular time. I mean, you've also got the kind of, you know, you've got the older women. You've got Nicole Kidman and Kirsten Dunst as the teachers. But then you also have Elle Fanning, who's kind of at the midst of a sexual awakening. Elle Fanning, who is often in these roles, isn't she? Yeah, it's funny. She was in 20th Century Women, which I saw at the beginning of the year. And in, and in that, she was sort of kind of a kind of a teenager that was sort of fairly sexually progressive for the period in which that film is set which is sort of the late 70s so it's interesting how neon demon has a similar vibe as well as a sort of girl coming to la yeah i'm not sure how i feel about that it's a bit i mean it's yeah i mean very good at acting it she still looks a bit 12 though so it's a bit weird um i haven't seen the original 1971 film with kent eastwood so i didn't know i didn't know what was going to happen um I I really enjoyed it and it was beautiful and hello Colin Farrell in yep. pretty much 
yeah just yeah. unbelievable it's totally reignited my love of Colin Farrell yeah. um just like taking a wet sort of wash down in the garden Good brilliant tree. um but I wasn't sure what it was building up to no. um I thought it was going to build up to slightly more of a crescendo than it it's did it's quite subtle the ending um, the way I was like oh okay I mean, it's like we were saying about how um, Dunkirk was was 90-something minutes. Um, the Beguiled was equally short, actually, mm-hmm. as well. And it did sort of end, not abruptly, but it kind of, a thing happened and then it was the end. Which yeah. was a bit like, oh, okay. Yeah, so I think I wasn't quite as... Uh... I haven't thought too much about it since we've seen it. I've only thought of Colin Farrell, yeah. but I mean, that's fairly standard. I mean, it's really, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know necessarily. I mean, like I said, I really love The Virgin Suicides, but Sofia Coppola's films generally kind of have a reputation for kind of like looking nice, mm-hmm. but being a little bit kind of It empty. did sort of build to nothingness, didn't yeah. it? Really? Yeah. I mean, it. yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily think it was kind of what I had wanted. No, I don't think it was. No. And um, maybe it also wasn't what I anticipated yeah. from kind of the trailer and from... Yeah, because I felt like the trailer kind of, there was a little bit more tension, which actually yeah. when spread out across 90 minutes just sort of became a little bit like... I feel like the bits that sort of bubbled over into kind of anger or tension were shoehorned into the trailer. Yeah. So actually, apart from those bits, there wasn't really this anything else. It's always the problem with trailers, I think, a lot of the time. But I Stop mean... giving away too much, guys. Yeah. I'm glad we saw it. Don't know if I'd rush back to see it ever again. No, I probably won't. But, you know, you could probably YouTube the Colin Farrell clips. So. Oh, yeah, I'd recommend that. Another film we watched together, um, and the first in this sort of run, actually, uh, since the last podcast, uh, was we saw a, a limited screening of uh, David Lynch, The Art Life, um, which is a documentary um, with David about David Lynch. Um, it discusses his early life uh, and looks at sort of the events um in his childhood um and as a young man sort of leading up to his first um film a razor head um it very much focuses on his artwork and his sort of creative process mm-hmm. um it was uh it was filmed over 20 interviews with him um and at his it house, was, no, yeah, at his house, which looks studio. like the most, yeah, house. It must be his studio. I don't know if it's his house, but you I mean, see, it's the most Lynchian thing I've ever seen. You would see scenes of him like going upstairs to kind of. I I feel like it looked like it was at the top of his house, like on the roof. Yeah, it had the kind of the way that it was set up looked like it had just been built on the top of a flat roof of an LA house, yeah. which I thought was like the most Lynch thing. I've I mean, ever. it looked, it just looked batshit, didn't it? And it looked so much like him. Um, it was. I really enjoyed its kind of simplicity of form. Yeah. Um, it was a really, it was a look at uh, an artist um, that I feel like I know quite a lot about in terms of his sort of filmography. And it was another side of him that I haven't really um, seen and I haven't really had much. I mean, I've, I've got his sort of records as well. So I've heard his music. I don't know that much about his artwork. No, and I it mean... was really interesting to see how... Uh, I guess, how formative artwork is. It it was really interesting, actually, because like you, I think that my knowledge of David Lynch has always just come from his films. Like, he's a filmmaker. And his interviews and then, you know, doing a little bit of a Wikipedia deep dive into kind of his personal life and and everything like that. But in terms of actually looking at his upbringing, kind of where he grew up Mm -hmm. and his involvement with art and artists from a very sort of young age, I feel like actually 
when you go back, I mean, having watched the kind of three or four episodes of Twin Peaks since then, um, it's really interesting. You to can actually... see, yeah, you yeah, can really see it, can't you? The main you? thing in, um, one of the main things in the art life was you see him working a lot on his paintings um, and actually you know you see so it's really interesting to trace his techniques and the sort of mm. work that he constructs there um into his there's a lot of imagery that comes i'm across, finding a yeah. lot in in the new peaks which you yeah. may agree with that there's a lot of stuff that he was working on in the art life that you can kind of see similar you can totally visuals see it, yeah. and i think i feel like as well it kind of explains retrospectively a lot of his or just all of his work generally actually yeah. about how it is so kind of informed by kind of surreal and kind of weird yeah art and actually you know generally his upbringing was kind of normal normal and he's quite happy about that yeah quite think, settled and i think that you could easily look at his work um across the board and say that it comes from a place of someone being kind of having had troubled life mm. or something but it's really interesting to sort of see that actually you know it's just a complete artistic choice mm. to kind of create in that particular way i mean um i think it's always really interesting to kind of get a glimpse into artists kind of studios and their practice and, yeah and the kind of way they construct their artwork so mm. it was interesting to sort of look at a filmmaker who's known for his films but actually has a really strong artist yeah I didn't realize that visual before. art came first no, really I just thought I. you know filmmaking um was sort of his his biggest love in life and actually it's not, no, not um, which really... was really interesting and it's lovely just to hear him talk for an extended amount of time as well he's um he's sort of utterly charming to listen to I could absolutely he, just listen to him his anecdotes hours. are just lovely his well, sort of really to... roundabout way of talking he's, is lovely. he's a proper storyteller he I mean, really we... is um, but not a conventional storyteller. No, and by any means. there's that video that I um, spent some time watching after episode eight of mm-hmm. Twin Peaks, which is a video of him cooking quinoa. Oh my god, and David Lee telling a cooking story. Queen, you just think quinoa. like this is such a simple premise, but actually it's incredibly atypical of like mm. Lynch's, you know, the way that he tells stories anyway. So it was interesting with the art life that you actually it, it is him telling a story mm. in a way. So um, I definitely would recommend that people. Who, yeah, um, I would. I re- if you're a Lynchian fan, I yeah. think you need to see it. Yeah, it's definitely a, um, a must see. A must see. Cliche. At the beginning of this week, we, um, we went to the cinema and we saw David Lowry's A Ghost Story. Um, it stars uh, Casey Affleck and Boo. Rooney Mara. Yes, um, Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara, who play a couple who live in a kind of slightly run-down house. Um, it was filmed in Texas, but I don't necessarily think that comes through in the film i don't think it's really set anywhere is it no which is sort of i think the point it's just mm-hmm. sort of in the suburbs um there are a couple who are living together um and then casey affleck's character um the characters themselves are referred to as c and m and you don't actually um hear them use names at any point during the film mm-hmm. um it's only in the credits that this becomes apparent but um casey affleck's character dies very suddenly um and then he becomes a ghost pretty much ridiculous the premise but um, he's covered in a sheet for like ninety percent of the film. Ninety percent of the film. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. I did really enjoy it. It's taken me some time to think back um, because my immediate feelings after the film were obviously quite. Um, I just I was on a massive downer really afterwards. Yeah, I think that the sadness. Whole, I think the whole point of the film. If there is a point to the film. Um, I got exactly what I thought I was going to get from yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, it, it genuinely is one of the 
um, most interesting films I have seen so far this year. It for a premise that on paper is a little bit weird. Um, I think that it's. I mean, visually, it's incredibly stunning. We've mm. talked about David Lynch being, you know, a, a filmmaker who's so heavily influenced by kind of art and visual mm-hmm. art in particular. It to me felt a little bit like an art installation you might see in a gallery mm. um, over yeah, an that's a good period of yeah. time. Um, one thing I think that. I mean, you talked about how you just felt doom and gloom afterwards. Mm. I do definitely think it's the point. It's meant to make you kind of think about kind of the futility of life. Well, it is. And I mean, I think even I knew what I was getting into going into that film. I think the trailer kind of spells it out fairly plainly as well. I think it would be impossible to go into it and not come away having to think about death and what happens to those who die and what happens to those after. It's about loss and life and death and time Um I just think it was so interesting. I mean, it was really interesting. It um it it changes speeds in a way. Well, it challenged me um in terms of its pacing in a way that I wasn't expecting. Mm-hmm. Um the sort of first two thirds of the film um is quite slowly paced. There is a scene with Pi sure. that we have covered before yep. that goes on for probably like six or seven minutes. That it was... goes on for a long time and it's uh, I think in, a, again, a similar way to David Lynch's uh, new season of Twin Peaks, it's really challenged, it really challenged my um, sort of my expectation of what film should be like and what film should do. And it forced me to sit and which watch I, and think. Which I absolutely think is the was the intention of yeah. Larry's part, I think, because when you are addressing themes about death and grief and loss and longing and you know what happens when you are suddenly faced with being alone when you hadn't time does slow down yeah i think that you kind of you know the the futility of how everything does become futile because what's the point and actually i think that having it is this feat of endurance Mm. in a way they talk about you know we do what we can to endure Mm. um, and those extended scenes which you know could become excruciating Mm. i think it gives you the opportunity to kind of dwell and contemplate and actually think about the film's themes itself which um it absolutely Mm. does i mean i haven't stopped thinking about it we saw it on monday today is now thursday and i haven't stopped thinking about it yeah it definitely stays with you um that pie scene (laughs) i just i felt so sick okay full disclosure she's not eating a pie she's eating a tart there's not a lid on the pie, There's so no it's, it's, I mean, sorry, Americans, it's a fucking it's a tart. tart. It's, it's a chocolate a, tart, it's guys. Tart it's not a pie, she but it eating. made me feel quite sick. Yeah. Um, at the, it's just the noise of a scrape in the bottom of the, oh, ugh, it just made me feel a bit ill. Um, it changes, uh, I wasn't expecting it to sort of change pace uh, about two thirds of the way in. It sort of speeds up literally through time yeah. uh, to wagon times wagon go times. back in time to wagon times um which is my favorite era of history I do like wagon times the covered wagon times. covered wagon times um i thought that was really interesting i wasn't expecting that no. so it, it certainly developed or it went full circle in a way that i wasn't expecting um the linearity of it is really back yeah. and forth and then we have like you say we have jumped to the past we go through to the future there is a point where um you're back to the present and you're kind of um yeah, back in the present. You've looped day. all the way around, haven't you? Around. And I think that, you know, it does, it, it's supposed to be looking at kind of the concept of time and, you know, the way that we traditionally think about narrative time, mm. particularly in, in the setting of a film. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of interesting. I mean, I hadn't anticipated it either. And no. It, it, it was interesting how it kind of went from one end of the spectrum of being quite slow and measured and, you know, almost laborious to being like, 
fully jumping yeah. around and back and forth and then you know you, towards the end of the film you kind of learned things that you weren't necessarily aware of in the beginning mm-hmm. which perhaps kind of change your perceptions on what you you know how you feel about their relationship mm. um, yeah which I thought absolutely. was just particularly interesting I mean um from on a personal front I'm someone who's just particularly morbid and thinks about death and dying yes um, it just gave me real food for thought I mean I, I did start panicking a little bit in the middle and was like you know, when you have that momentary, like, oh, I am going to die. Yeah. And the people I know are going to yeah. die. I did have a momentary that. and then... Yeah, I mean, I think actually, I think one thing I do think, feel strongly about is I think that your reaction to it and your experience of viewing it will definitely be shaped by your, A, your own personal experience mm. of loss and grief I think of any so. kind. I, would str- and... I was thinking, actually, how difficult it might be to watch that if you've suffered a catastrophic loss yeah and how i don't know whether it would be comforting for you to watch or just reopening old wounds i don't know i felt personally i felt it was a very very realistic portrayal of what it is like to lose someone and how you kind of just those initial days Mm. of like like what am i Mm. i have to deal with this thing that has happened Mm. but like because life does stand still. Yeah. And again, like we've talked, you know, the, the, the kind of the timing of parts of it feeling a little bit dragged out. I do think that's like, because you like what, you know, everything does stand still mm. because you are sort of having to, to face up to it. I mean, yeah, I, I, I really, really, really enjoyed it. Um, one thing I would very much like to just draw attention to is um, the Casey Affleck shaped. Yeah, I was about to room. say, we. I think we probably need to I mean, I grappled, address a bit of Casey. Yeah, I mean, I grappled heavily with... A, going to see in the first place and B, how I, what, what that what position that kind of puts you in with regards to Casey Affleck's behaviour. I mean, generally, the controversy surrounding Casey Affleck generally and what he has done in the last year or so yep. is not something that I particularly want to get into because I feel no. like we could be here for hours. Yeah, and it's people but, know it. You can read about I it. I completely understand why anyone might not feel comfortable about seeing a film mm-hmm sorry seeing a film with him in yep. I had a similar and I know that we, this is a discussion that we had at the mm-hmm. beginning of the year um, I went to see Manchester by the Sea which is a film that he is in and won an Oscar for um, but I yep. know that you chose not to see it because of his inclusion I did yeah so and then I've now grappled with being a massive fucking hypocrite and going to see a ghost story I think it's hard and it's really funny I remember I wrote something after I saw Manchester by the Sea um, I wrote something about you know what position it puts you in to go mm-hmm. and see something that stars someone that whose behavior is absolutely reprehensible yeah. and whose behavior is well documented as well i mean um i feel weird about it but it's a dialogue i'm happy to have with people yeah. and i think it's something that people need to discuss i because, think so i mean part of my frustration around the oscars was that you know i don't agree that he his performance in manchester by the sea was exceptional yeah he he did really do a very very good job in that film. However, I don't think he should have won the Oscar. No, for I it. think there's a responsibility not to. Yeah, there's definitely a reward behaviour because it's rewarding it. And yeah. I don't. And I think actually around the Oscars in particular, a lot was done to kind of downplay the the kind of um, news that came out about mm-hmm. you know things that yeah. he'd been involved with, and that really angered me at the time because I think that that's just really. I think there needs to be a, a level of accountability in in Hollywood. Yeah, there um, he does. I talked at length with various people about people like Woody Allen and mm-hmm. you know 
what it means to go and see his films. You think about people like Terry Richardson and... Yeah, Terry Richardson, Roman Polanski as well. I think that, you know, I think these are really, really important dialogues to have. So it's why I completely understand why someone Mm. might not want to go and see a ghost story because he is in... Yeah, I I kind of backwards it... I didn't go and see Manchester by the Sea for that reason. Um, I... For some reason, when I first saw the trailer for A Ghost Story, I didn't clock that it was Casey Affleck, and I don't really know why, but I just didn't. And it was only when I'd got to a point where I was like, I'm really looking forward to seeing it, I realised he was in it, and then it was like, fuck, what am I doing? Am I not seeing it? Um, I'm glad I did see it, and not that this is a defence at all. Um, It's not. I don't think the film is is really focused on his character. It's much more focused on Rooney... Myra's character. I feel so, like, you know, she's the one that absolutely anchors the I don't film. think I could have given a shit that he was in it, really. No, I mean, it's really interesting. I, I, well, I mean, you've said before how, like, Casey Affleck as a person wasn't really on your radar. Ever. No. I, um, weirdly was, like, in terms of, like, actors, I was, like, super into for an extended period of time. Casey Affleck was absolutely up there. Yeah, it's really weird because I just didn't clock yeah, it. it's funny. I went through, like, a Joaquin film, also similarly um, questionable, Joaquin Phoenix phase, yeah. and then I got really, really into Casey Affleck and went back through and watched a bunch of his films. Um, and so when I kind of read all the stuff about him, I, there was, like, this kind of, like, huge disappointment mm. and just kind of, like, horror that, like, oh, actually someone who, if someone had asked me, like, who some of my favourite actors were, Casey Affleck. He would have been, been on there. there. So okay. it's kind of, um, that's probably what's shaped my kind of, um, I don't know, approach to everything. But mm. I mean, from here on out, um, I'm going to be trying to avoid seeing anything with him in yeah. where possible. It's difficult. I can't, you can't justify it really, can you? It's no, just, I don't sure. know. But I don't know what to say other than that it's not like we're not aware of it. No, but that's why I think it's really important to not brush over it, really. I mm. think that it's important to kind of address those concerns that we have and that Mm. other people have and i think it's a really important dialogue that we should be having so and it's this is a i think this is a really important film um and it deserves to be watched and it's a shame in a way that you know people rightfully aren't going to watch it and i don't know whether the film is going to suffer a little bit from people going i'm not going to see that because he's in it i don't know yeah because the cast is Um, so small isn't it yeah it's such you know it's a shame for them i mean it's justified but it's a shame for them um, and I also just wanted to quickly touch on how a ghost story kind of falls into this um, this sort of pool of uh, recent horror films that uh, very much kind of defy the normal uh, conventions of horror. Um, and there's just there's just been a really great in the past I don't know two or three years. There's just been a really great run of um, horror films that are just completely different. Uh, to what has come before um there's a guardian article by steve rose um called how post-horror movies are taking over cinema and he sort of brands this kind of new era post-horror yes. um and it sort of encompasses uh, it comes at night which we've spoken about get out a ghost story the witch personal shopper neon demon and they're actually all up there as films that I've really, really loved and have stood out for me as a fan of the genre yeah, in the last so few it's, years. It's really, really interesting. So I've never really been a huge horror fan. When I was younger, I just absolutely wouldn't watch mm. anything scary because it, I just it found it too, too stressful. Mm. It's the polar opposite of me. Yeah, as well. absolutely. So which funny. is why it's funny. And then as as I've gotten older, I've become more open to watching things. And now I like absolutely will just a hundred percent, you know, watch anything. I, I, I sort of have to do it 
um, without the company of my husband because he just isn't into it at all. Mm. Um, but for me in particular, it has been really, really interesting over the last few years, this kind of wave of new... Mm kind of new style horror films i mean um did you mention the babadook oh yeah babadook was i mean one of the best films yeah i mean everything that i've watched that is in this kind of like post horror vein Mm. um in the last few years i've just really really thoroughly enjoyed and it's been been really 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 interesting to kind of so happy kind of smart filmmaking that's coming Mm. out in that particular genre because i feel like horror as a whole often gets um criticized for Mm. being a bit kind of slapdash oh yeah i mean and it's the same as it's the same in literature as well like historically gothic literature is seen as this kind of pulpy you know just like genre bullshit really it's not taken seriously i think when you think about horror sometimes or or if you had a conversation with someone on the street about horror films they would immediately think of the franchises they would think of saw they would think of you know hostile um, hostile, yeah um you know insidious all of those kind of Mm. things but actually i think there are really interesting things being done within the genre which you know um a ghost story kind of is on the periphery of and i think that a lot of the films that you've mm. mentioned that we have seen together especially um they've been some of the best films i've seen i mean yeah. you know get out in particular one of the best brilliant. films i've seen this year it and, follows yeah. last year was amazing mm. and it's i mean they're not it's weird i mean i think it starts at this sort of post-horror era as we're calling it started for me with it follows Mm -hmm. which is one of my favorite films hands down of recent years um and they all very much tap into sort of uh social anxieties so you know it follows as kind of stis and um sort of sex culture um get out has got a whole really strong race element to it um the witch had a very strong religious element to it all these kind of you know um yeah, sort of social, well, personal kind of, anxieties. They amplify, um, things, you know, concerns that people have. Yeah, and I mean, that's always been very much... I mean, that's what horror is. That's always been what horror is. Absolutely. But they're definitely doing it in a kind of new way recently that sort of breaks the kind of the, the conventions of what we expect of sort of horror filmmaking. Well, it's interesting when you think about... I mean, something we haven't mentioned um, news-wise, but with the death of George A. Romero recently, mm. and you think about Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, and actually kind of the place the political social climate that those films yeah. came from like the very very early kind of you know quote unquote horror films yeah like, um, came from you know it, it's definitely a thread that has always been there i just think that in you know you know 80s 90s early 2000s there was this kind of you know oversaturation there in was. the market because they're often easy they were often cheap to make popular because people want, want to go and see them because they're like the scare element, yeah and like the gross out element. yeah it was more on the gross out element yeah. and i think these new films have been a lot cleverer with what they're doing and you know they they focus a lot more on characterization and sort of narrative and things like that that some you know a lot of horror films haven't done before i don't don't like calling them smart because that sounds really patronizing like any other film isn't smart but they are definitely a little bit more but it's also i mean in that vein i mean i know we've uh, both listened to mark kermo talk about um how you know yeah get out could be argued as a sort of you know like an art house horror film like mm-hmm. oh, it was a smart horror film and yet it's been a huge box office success Absolutely. so people were getting it and a lot of these films actually um it comes at night has had a pretty good run mm-hmm. um a ghost story has had loads of coverage mm-hmm. um the witch is a film that a lot of people have seen yeah. and they've all actually been quite big successes yeah um which proves actually like original filmmaking you know it has the has the audience yeah. and, and and should definitely be um be prioritized i mm. think so i just long live 
the post-horror era. Let's keep it going. I love it. Cool. So we've done music and movies. Um, onto TV. I haven't been watching a huge amount. I mean, we've mentioned Twin Peaks season three. Yeah. Um, before and I'm for some unknown reason I decided to start rewatching ER from the beginning. I love that you but, started doing um, that. Cool. We won't talk about that until I'm at least done with season one. Um, something else I did find time to watch though, however, is um Atlanta. Yes. Um, it was something I missed out on watching mm. last year just through my own laziness and also because I couldn't find. A decent stream for it um but we part of a subscription service that we got um specifically to watch twin peaks um one of the channels um is something that shows atlanta so we were able to watch all of the episodes um, atlanta is obviously the project starring um donald glover um you haven't seen any of it i haven't watched it full disclosure i'm not going it. to it too much but i very... just one season yeah so far they um the second season isn't coming out until next year because they pretty much put a hold on it because um donald glover is in the han solo spin-off film of course yeah um so rather than oh, kind I love of donald glover he's so, so good i mean rather than filming the best si- donald there is they're probably the best and only good donald i'd yes. say donald duck's okay he's yeah fine don't understand why he doesn't wear trousers fine yeah. anyway donald glover is exceptional in, in atlanta and it's definitely something i recommend um watching if you get the opportunity to do so we watched it in a really short um space of time and we sort of discussed earlier on about kind of binging tv and um it definitely worked really well to kind of hmm. we did it over the space of about three or four days i think um wow. so the episode yeah well the episodes are only half an hour oh we, so we like a half an hour episode love a half an hour episode so i definitely recommend hmm. um watching that have you been watching anything else recently um we finished watching aquarius um fine uh david Cobney, brilliant Good. um we watched the first episode of Mr. Mercedes um, last week. It came out on Audience, uh, which is a network I've never really... Audience? Audience, yeah. That's sure. a thing. Sure. Um, uh, yeah, so Mr. Mercedes is uh, an adaption of the novel Mr. Mercedes uh, uh, by Stephen King, which Loves, is part of a trilogy. There's, I mean, there's been Stephen King. such a Stephen King renaissance recently. Weird, I mean, we're fucking saturated in Stephen King at the moment um want to talk about the Dark Tower or uh we haven't seen the Dark Tower <laughs> so yeah and I don't really plan on watching it or well, I don't plan on paying to watch it let's sure. put it that way and um, who's in Mr Mercedes Mr Mercedes has got Brendan Gleeson in it sure um it also has Harry Treadway who um he was in Penny Dreadful oh, okay um he plays Victor Frankenstein in Penny Dreadful he also has an identical twin brother who looks identical so it's yeah a bit Creepy. much um it also has Jarrell jerome from moonlight who's one of he's one of the kids oh, of moonlight sure. um uh interestingly anton yelchin was actually going to play uh brady hartsfield in mr mercedes um and unfortunately he died so oh, harry treadway came in That's yeah really interesting so um it's it's actually i mean it's uh, it's directed by jack bender um who has worked, I know, honestly. Sorry. <laughs> I know. I'm really sorry. Um, really I thought I was going to hold it together. You I'm so, it. I'm so um, sorry. Who's worked on The Sopranos, Lost, and Game of Thrones. And it's developed by David E. Kelly, who is the creator of Big Little Lies. Oh. Yes. So, okay. Um, sure. The I premise didn't is that, uh, that uh, this retired police detective um, is sort of haunted by one case of uh, a killer who. Um, 
was nicknamed Mr. Mercedes, um, who killed a lot of people by ploughing his car into sure. a group of people waiting outside a job market. Um, so it's quite topical, brilliant. Mm -hmm. um, and he's sort of haunted by this one case um, and he's being he starts being taunted by this killer who comes back um, and starts sending him messages and videos and things like that um, to taunt him. When did it, in terms of like Stephen King's canon, mm -hmm. is it like a recent it's book? Re it's, yeah, recent. Oh, cool. Okay, that's um, interesting. The third one came out, I don't know whether it was last year or the year before. Well, I was just going to say, I so, recognise it name-wise. They're but... very recent, oh, cool, recent okay. years. Um, they are, re the first two are really good. The third one I wasn't as sure about, but I mean, generally the reception has been really positive mm -hmm. on them. Um, this first episode was really good. Yeah. It's really good. It was great. Wes watched it with me and I think we were both sort of anticipating it being a bit naff in the way that a lot of Stephen King adaptions are naff. Well, we talked briefly before about The Mist. Yeah, I thought it was going like, to be exactly the same yeah. as The Mist. So like kind of shitty acting, mm -hmm. a bit cheesy, mm -hmm. bleh, whatever. Will we finish it? Will we not? I don't know. Completely not like that at all. Oh, that's really interesting. Um, it's, it's brilliant. It was brilliant. It was really funny. It was really sharp. It was really gory, which I wasn't expecting. Uh, there's some, I mean, there's some, in the book, there's quite a lot of violence. There's a weird incest storyline. Sure. They've kept that in the show. Sure. So that was quite uncomfortable. Um, but it's really well done. Cool. Um, and Wes was really stoked on it by the end. And yeah, was I like, I want to watch another one. And there isn't any more at the moment. So we talked about it briefly at the weekend. I would really recommend it. it so. I think it's actually going to be something of real substance well what um, a novelty on the i know and uh, it so rarely happens for stephen king yeah i was gonna say it that just doesn't been, been quite missed rather than hit yeah so. like with the exception of the shining um which stephen king famously hated anyway he does hate it so weird, he really it? hates it um there, there just hasn't really been any decent adaptions i mean i've got like you know a soft spot for pet cemetery and you know but even that's like... But they're naff. They yeah. are totally naff. And, you know, it was... Meh. And so it's nice to have something that's actually done in... A... Oh, and the soundtrack. The soundtrack's just really great. I'd, sure, um, I'll check it out. And there is a song called Pet Cemetery in it by... Oh. Is it the Ramones? There is a Pet Cemetery Ramones song, Yeah, yes. they play Pet Cemetery. Brady Hartsfield, when he's driving in the car, is listening <laughs> to Pet Cemetery. And it's just really... It's oh, just stuff like that. That's it's really cool. cute. So, recommended. Oh, cool. Um, just something else what I want to touch on. Um, briefly, I didn't mention this when we did our trailers bit at the beginning. Trailers, um, trailers. Um, but um, Mr. Robot, uh, the Ooh, trailer yes. for season three dropped um, the week that I was on holiday, I think, and I had like a mad panic of trying to get internet reception to watch just it. to watch the trailer. Yeah, <laughs> the trailer is tr pretty trippy. It's um, Leonard Cohen reading the words of one of his songs, the name of which I can't remember, oh, wow. but um, was obviously recorded before he died, I mm. believe. Um, yeah, the trailer itself looks pretty trippy. Mr. Robot as a whole is a pretty trippy show. Um, I absolutely adore it. It's one of my favourite shows of recent years and I'm very, very excited for the return of um, season three. They kind of um, dropped it all. I think it must have been over the weekend of uh, Comic-Con actually, but it went up online and then um, they've always been really, really good with their viral marketing. Mm -hmm. They've got a really savvy team of people that kind of respond to people's tweets in the way like that a bit of savvy marketing. yeah in the way that like the hackers from mr robot would respond mm -hmm. um one of the things is they were they were tweeting loads of code oh um which was really interesting and they were getting people to decipher it and stuff oh know. people love doing yeah that it's kind of cool well. it's one of those films uh films sorry they're one of those tv shows that's super like 
Reddit fodder in mm. that you get like loads of, in the way that I guess Twin Peaks is in yeah. terms of like trying to decipher what's going on. So I am very psyched for the show to return in October. Brilliant. Um, just a brief uh, shout out on the pod. I've gotten really behind on podcasts. Yeah, I've um, I've actually the only thing I'm almost caught up on. I've done a huge binge recently of my favorite murder. Second time oh, we good. mentioned it. Um, I mean, my favorite murder is so brilliant and it's so easy to binge listen to them yeah. that I've had to stop myself because I didn't want to run out of them yeah um and so I'm only a few behind now but I'm trying to stop again to uh allow myself some time so oh. that I've got a nice little build up a little nest depressingly of other so I'm up to date on the MFM front um just a little shout I mean we've talked about the uh, lady pod squad before but um we would just like oh. to shout out specifically um the girls at high expectations um Justine Hello. and Jaslyn they gave us um, the opportunity to put our promo. We did our first little promo first video. First little promo on um, the end of one of their episodes. It was actually the radio, an episode where they talk about Radiohead, which for me... Yes, I listened to it. It was so good. Cool. It was brilliant. I love Radiohead, so it was very fitting. We didn't um, realise that in advance, actually, so I was very touched afterwards. It's a bit of a weird thing to do, um, isn't it? But we've, I think we've had loads of new listeners as a result, so... Oh, We're lovely. very, Thank very you. pleased. Um, again, we've mentioned before, but 100% check out the um, uh, Lady Pod Squad hashtag on Twitter if you are after um, female-fronted um, podcasts. There are a whole bunch out there, and we absolutely recommend. Cool. With various accents. With various yeah, accents. Just lovely. Charming. High expectations are from New Zealand, so we really hope oh, that they... Oh, it's great. I love listening to that accent. They sound great. Great voices. Great accents. Um, so on to our sort of our main topic of conversation for uh, this episode. Um, it was it is the biggest news for us in recent weeks, um, and we decided not to uh, discuss it briefly at the beginning, to but but to give it a bit more time. Um, Chester Bennington, so Chester Bennington from Lincoln Park, uh, sadly committed suicide at forty one years of age um a couple of weeks ago i guess yeah now. it was the 20th of july um, i think yeah so it was just t- towards the end of last big, month a big shocker um it's really shocking really wasn't expecting that right. um and i think it's it's been a huge shock to us and it's been a huge shock to all of our friends um who you know would list lincoln park as like such an important band um for their kind of early years there was kind of this weird kind of like generational kind of flurry of people that we know and just generally people on the internet kind of responding in a way that was very similar to our own reactions to it, which I think says speaks volumes about kind of Linkin Park's place within the kind of um, musical upbringing of, yeah, of and, people that are our age. And we've we've certainly discussed before how Linkin Park are a band that um, transcend kind of because of because of their music and the style of their music they appealed to so many different types of people so you know at school you had they're one of the sort of common denominator bands for lots of different groups of people absolutely and that's kind of shown again now um just even some of the celebrities that tweeted like you you can you were surprised actually how many other celebrities would list Linkin Park as an influence it was really really interesting actually yeah to sort of see kind of because I mean we've talked um since um his passing we've kind of had lots of conversations about him and one of the things we do discuss is that yes like you said when you're at school like they were kind of one of those unifying bands where regardless of what kind of your 
I don't know, click was yeah. at school. Your like, click. Yeah, they were the one band that, like, sort of everyone... I mean, like, Hybrid Theory, that, you know, the, the debut came out in October 2000, and um, it sold in its first week. I didn't realise this until I was doing a bit of research for the pod. It sold over 50,000 copies in its first That's week. That's insane. Um, in five weeks after its release, it was certified gold by the RIAA, um, and then in 2001, um, or by 2001, sorry, the album had sold 4.8 million copies that's within the United absolutely States. Absolutely insane. That, that's just in the US, and it was the best-selling album of the year. Um, and then per week into 2002, it was still selling 100,000 copies a week. That's absolutely. It's nuts. crazy, isn't it? Yeah, that's I hadn't. I mean, nuts. I knew that um, they were kind of one of the. So we're obviously going to go on to talk a lot about new metal and mm-hmm. new metal as a genre. But Linkin Park were one of those bands that I think did, of those groups that you get kind of um, tagged with the new metal kind of, um, mm-hmm. label. you know, moniker and label. Mm-hmm. Um, they were the ones that were incredibly, in such a sort of short space of time, had like a lot, a lot of success. I mean, a um, huge amount of success. And it came, I mean, for me, it came at, you know the sort of the crucial point for me they were they were and i know that loads of people listening to this and loads of people i know who uh, had exactly the same experience but they were the band really that um sort of got me into what i'm into now yeah it came at exactly the right time i remember watching it on top of the pops of all things it's they used to have the crawling it? video on top yeah. of the pops all the time it was like the first record of that description that i bought it was lincoln park were the first band i ever saw live um chester bennington was i was completely obsessed with chester bennington i remember really vividly seeing the video for um uh closer to the one step closer sorry um, on kerrang just like randomly um stumbling across it on the Krang uh, music tv channel here in the uk and just being like what the fuck is this like being yeah. so blown away i remember like making my mum um on her lunch break like telling her that she had to go into like um one of the music shops in our city and kind of get me this cd <laughs> single because i just absolutely had to have it and i remember playing it into absolute oblivion yeah I think everyone came yeah. out like that was like the I think album. everyone we've spoken to has said about how they got hybrid theory and just played it until it was like dust it's crazy i mean i was i was 12 when hybrid theory came out so i was it's, 10 <laughs> it's at that like incredibly formative yeah. age where and like you say like they're such a gateway band i mean we'll go on to talk a little bit more about other groups that within kind of the mm-hmm. new metal genre that we particularly hold in regard for kind of being that kind of gate mm. portal into kind of other types yeah. of music but i do find it really really interesting that kind of regardless of what a lot of people are into now there does seem to be this really common thread mm-hmm. for people our age in particular that you know it is either lincoln park or corn or Limp yeah. biscuit or slip and it's the thing it's a, it's a band i don't feel ashamed about either it's like because everyone i mean everyone shared it so it's like what i you know, I mean, I don't generally don't feel ashamed of things like that anyway. But you know, I'm not. I don't cringe at the fact that How that many... is what got me into what I'm into Absolutely today. No, I think it's really, really, really important. I mean, there was a thing that was going around Facebook like sometime last year where it was like the ten. I can't remember. What it was like ten most important albums to you growing up or something. And like, it was really interesting seeing those. Some the ones that were like really honest about those albums yeah. that they. Um, did like were obsessed with at a very young age or people that were being like carefully of... choreographed like yes i've been listening to nick cave since i was nine yeah which is such bullshit and i think like, actually the ones bullshit. that were more interesting for me were people that were like really willing to admit that like you know bands like lincoln park and corn um were 
really heavy rotation. I mean, I know personally, I mean, so um, kind of new metal as a kind of type of music that I got into, um, I it's funny kind of mapping my own trajectory because I feel like at the, at, I was really into, like I was a huge Blink-182 fan. Mm-hmm. I remember getting super into Blink-182 at the end of being in primary school. Mm-hmm. So I probably would have been like 11, 12, um, probably more on the 11 side of things. And I remember like being super into Blink-182, um, like was absolutely obsessed. And then I remember like on the flip side that got super into Link, uh, Linkin mm-hmm. Park and then Limp Bizkit. Like, mm-hmm. They were my kind of three. Yeah like biggins and then like it's really interesting how you kind of go how you weave it out from that mm-hmm. you know the bands that there are bands kind of that i got super into there are ones i just completely given couldn't give a shit about and then actually like looking where i went from there and i know um, i think for me was often like people in those bands would mention other bands that they listen to mm. um or would tour with particular people and then you mm. kind of branch outwards but i never forget you know um where that initial kind of I don't know, musical inception. Yeah, was, it you know is I mean? musical like, inception, yeah. Um, so I think it's really, I find it really funny when people are like, oh yeah, no, I, I didn't like them at all. Because it's kind of like, no, you probably did, but you're just weirdly ashamed to actually I feel like everyone through a stage when they were probably like 19, like 18, 19, 20 of wanting to like completely disregard anything they were into a weird before. Erasure, act like it right? never happened. Yeah, completely. And then you suddenly just go back to it and you're like, fuck it. Like, yeah, that was so much fun and yeah. it's fine. Um. Going back to Chester in particular, um, I think he stands out as a musician that um, everyone had a lot of respect for. Absolutely. Um, a particularly kind and talented person. Um, and, you know, it. I, I think it's fairly well documented that he had some fairly horrific demons that he couldn't yeah get away from he had like a lot a very troubled past didn't he and troubled upbringing um and that was often something that very much came across in interviews and in bands music i know that in the kind of immediate aftermath of his death it was really interesting to look at the way that the press was kind of handling that and how people were like looking back at old interviews where he'd like made reference to kind of things that Mm -hmm. he struggled with growing up i mean he'd been very open about a lot of that crazy open i mean you just listen to lincoln park's lyrics and i don't think anyone's ever been ignorant to the fact that they're dark but i mean now they take a whole new kind of poignancy that's really they are hard to listen to actually i mean it's really 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 it's really dark yeah Um, i mean the thing that i found really interesting about lincoln park is the fact that they've managed to kind of transcend and kind of evolve this from this initial kind of you know new metal kind of um label that was momentary yeah Yeah, like a a, like a moment in music history that could have just like blinked and gone absolutely five minutes they've always consistently put out records they're always consistently touring i mean sadly they're still um, the same band as well the same lineup you know i mean it's like i said sadly they'd been on tour very very recently um we've got a couple of friends that saw them live you know within the last month or so so um they were right in the middle They're of it. Very, they? very active. So mm-hmm. it's a real, you know, obviously it's it's a huge shame for um, shock for them. For shock for them as well as Chester's family. And it just it does reinforce to me and you know, it just really hits home that you know, it's that age old thing of no matter how successful you are or, you know, the perception that you are successful and rich and you have a family and you have kids and a loved one and a career and you're adored. That doesn't that cannot just in that isn't an instant cure for 
you know, your mental health. It isn't an, an instant cure for things that you may have gone through in the past that Absolutely. you just can't get away from. Absolutely. And... It obviously doesn't automatically buy you happiness. And I think if you have got really deep seated problems and you're dealing with really lots of personal demons then suddenly being wildly successful and having lots of money, that's mm. not going to And time change. doesn't always heal them no, either. And absolutely. it just, I think maybe this has reminded people of that. I mean, there's been mostly really uh, uh, respectful responses to this. There's been a couple that have just been guy from a head PE put something oh, up, yeah, didn't he? That um, was just really shitty. One of Corn did and Yeah, um Madonna Wayne Gacy from Marilyn Manson, um, who is, you know, completely I mean Madonna Wayne Gacy is somebody who hasn't been in Marilyn Manson for years. Um, and is therefore irrelevant, but it's always the r- irrelevant people that seem to have quite strong opinions. Um and he posted something recently about um how uh uh, Chris Cornell and Chester Bennington didn't go out in a rock and roll way and how, you know, it suicide just, is shit. And I, find it, I find it mind-blowing that really, people have that attitude. I find it incredibly offensive. Those are people that have families and I think that, like, who are you to pass judgment on what was going on for them mentally that, like, led yeah. them to make that decision? It's not anyone's business. I think that the important thing is to kind of acknowledge that they obviously had very complex issues that they didn't feel able to deal with. And I think that if anything comes out of the sad, you know, um, Chester's sad passing is that actually there needs to be a lot more, you know, we always need to be really cognizant of people's Mm. mental health goings on and, you know, draw awareness to kind of, and encourage people to get help. So I think that that always seems counterproductive when people feel the need to pass judgment and kind of, you know, Oh, tell me again how he's, you know, how selfish he is for leaving his kids. Like, I'm sure he didn't, that didn't fucking cross his mind either. I just think that's not, that for me isn't your business to discuss. So why are you using this as a press opportunity to kind of like... It's always the washed up ones, like head PE and some guy who hasn't been in Marilyn Manson for about 20 years. Are you kidding me? Really, really just crass. Um, So, you know, given kind of... Uh, Lincoln Park's prominence in our kind of early musical upbringings. We thought we'd use this as an opportunity to kind of like just talk widely about uh, new metal as a genre and our own kind of and new metal, uh, new metal, you know, engagement with it. I mean, just as a quick uh, deep dive into people, if people have no awareness of what new metal does, anyone not know what new metal is? Well, probably. Well, no one. I mm. Even my mum, dis- yeah, actually, full disclosure, I had to break the news about oh, Chester God, Bennington to my 62-year-old mother because she is a huge fan of Linkin Park and Chester in particular. And it was her birthday when he died. So I had to hope to God that she didn't see the news until the next day. And then I had to ring her and break it to her like it was a family member. So if my mother knows a lot about new metal and listens to hybrid theory and meteor on rotation you should all know what true, new metal true. is true true for those who are on its culture the staff's mum um new metal um this is from wikipedia is this so... wikipedia but i was about to yeah, ask because I, thought, got a wikipedia I, I was trying definition. to think of a definition of it and i was just like where better to go than the oracle that's wikipedia so um new metal is a form of alternative metal that combines elements of heavy metal music with elements of other musical genres such as hip-hop alternative rock funk and grunge funk yep new metal became popular in the late 90s with bands and artists such as corn limp biscuit slipknot all releasing multi-platinum albums i think that's the important thing actually is that not only were there a lot of bands that were kind of sort of pretty huge at the time they all sold like 
shitloads of records. Um, yeah, they were bit of big news. Yeah, big news. Um, new metal's popularity continued during the early 2000s with bands such as Papa Roach, Stained, and POD all selling multi platinum albums, um, which came to a peak with Linkin Park's diamond selling album Hybrid Theory. So diamond? That, I don't know if I know of anything else diamond selling. It's That's crazy. Insane. I mean, the genre itself kind of died off towards the mid 2000s. I think there has been like a weird kind of re interest and re resurrection of it. But I mean, I think for me, it's a very 90s, early 2000s thing. Yes. Um, just, I mean, so the bands that came up there were, of course, Corn, Slipknot, and Limp Biscuit. I mean, one thing that, um, one person in particular that's probably worth mentioning is um, the quote unquote godfather of new metal is um, producer oh, yeah. Ross Robinson. Um, he the fourth album that he ever produced was Corn's self titled in 1994, and then after that he worked with bands like Deftones on Adrenaline, Sepultura on Roots, Limp, just and he did um, right Limp Biscuit. He did their record Three Dollar Bill. You'll um, he worked with Soulfly, Machine Head, and he did. <laughs> And he did the Slipknot self-titled. So just exclusively new metal. Then, yeah, really. it's really interesting. He did, um, I hadn't, I mean, just as a brief aside, Ross, Ross Robinson's kind of production credits are quite varied. Um, I hadn't realised that he produced, um, he produced um, Worship and Tribute um, by one of my, my probably my favourite Glassdoor record, which mm-hmm. I didn't even realise was a Ross Robinson. He also did a Klaxons album in 2010. Oh, that's okay. Niche. Was it the one, the, the one, the, the, the... No, it wasn't even no. the good one. Oh, no, that's that was weird. earlier than that. Yeah, exactly. It? So it's wow. weird. He's had a, but he's had a very varied career, but he's very instrumental in a lot of those early new metal mm. records. So, um, I mean, it's probably... Um, important i guess first to kind of address those key new metal bands i mean when you think of new metal like who who the the big well, ones my the trinity that i think of that i know we've already debated off this has been off, a long debate yeah off, off microphone pod. off mic um i think limp biscuit and corner are given yeah those two are the given yeah um for me personally sure but not generally lincoln park for me that's the top three of like I obvious. I think personally, for me. if I um, was thinking about ones that which uh, new metal bands that had most importance to me, um, they would be my three as well. I yeah. mean, Slipknot are an interesting one. I but Slipknot kind of began as new metal. I think like the self-titled is very yeah, and then it kind of uh, is not. No, the... I mean the self-titled Slipknot self-titled is ninety-nine. I mean at the time I didn't really like Slipknot that much. Yeah, they were kind Iowa of... really brought it home to me Iowa was the one I was the kind of the gateway I think for a lot of people when it came to Slipknot I just wasn't that fast I I found it all a bit weird and quite creepy like I said earlier I, I really wasn't into kind of like horror and stuff that much and Slipknot's thing was like super funny yeah I remember getting that CD and when you lifted the CD out of the case there was like a fucking sheep uh fetus thing underneath it and I remember being like, that's cool. I think shit. I found Slip, yeah, I found Slipknot deeply unsettling at the time. I mean, now, um, now I absolutely. I would just love it. Now I love it. But it was, Iowa was the big one, I think. Yeah. I mean, I remember so many people at my school having Iowa hoodies. Yeah. Like cheap knockoff bootleg, like bought off the market yeah. Iowa hoodies. And like, I think like the early thing. records, so like Limp Biscuit's first record, Corn's first record, all came before i entered into that music so like it wasn't until chocolate starfish that i got into limp biscuit and then went backwards it wasn't until probably follow the leader yeah that was my in was my first for corn 
So I think we all reached it at that point because yeah. it had already been going for well, a few years. Well, that was around the time where those, band, those bands in particular had peaked. I mean, my limit... That's like 2000 peak, right? Uh, yeah, late 90s, early 2000s. I mean, for us, it would have been... I mean, it's, it, I think that my in for Limp Biscuit was Significant Other. Yeah. Um, but that was only just before um, Chocolate Starfish Yeah, mine was out. definitely Chocolate it was Starfish. Only, it wasn't a very, like... I think it's probably... I must have heard the single for for one of the singles from Chocolate Starfish and was like, oh, I'm going to buy a significant other. I mean, there it's really, it's so, it's, I had Papa Roach down. I mean, they're a late stage kind of band as well. I mean, Infest, um, yeah. Infest was such a great record. So good. I remember being super, super obsessed. It was brilliant. And just thinking like all those, I mean, it's really, so New Metal for me was like early teens. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think it's really, it says a lot of, think about how you are at that age um and how your kind of interests manifest i mean i, I remember thinking that like interesting in angle yeah right every single new metal angst. song was like directly correlating with my own in life life my which, own awful suburban existence yeah i mean I, i'm quite uh lucky in that, that my upbringing has never really been i don't live in a crack den what no. was i worried about but i used to listen to like there's, there's, especially Papa Roach which is like so fucked up I'm just thinking like oh my god Kobe Dick is selling it's like so singing about my life which is singing just, about self-harm and I'm just yeah I'm so troubled yeah it's really I think it says a lot about like that teen angst kind of phase oh my god, and that's, so much. especially I think that's why those bands were so popular at that time because the, of the generational investment I mean I think one thing I just want to talk about because you said before that we had had quite the discussion about like key new metal bands and yeah. what is and what isn't new metal I mean I think there are a few bands that I think um, often got caught up in the kind of oh um, yeah let's melee play, of uh, let's new play metal. are they new metal yeah okay. so I Here, think let's play are they new metal it's on you so realm. I've I've got one two three four I've got four bands down that I think got caught up in the kind of wave of new metal towards the like so the late 90s early I've got 2000s. 10 to oh actually one of them was Slipknot so we can ignore that oh okay fine um I've got <laughs> Marilyn Manson definitely isn't. That's fucking absolutely definitely no isn't. way. But I think it's interesting because it was around that time that yeah. all of this stuff was getting popular. And I think because if you were slight, if you were heavy music and slightly weird, you got was character like new metal. I don't know new metal. I think of uh, like I was reading. It's like characterized by like seven string guitars and sampling and DJs and rapping, rapping and, and singing. Yeah, singing, rapping, I think, screaming. I think for me, it's more just that like because if you think about the popularity of Limp Bizkit and Corn at those times, and then you also you had Marilyn Manson releasing like seminal album, it kind of gets caught up in it. Which you know, mm. I think he's definitely I, not. Yeah, but I seem, I remember getting, I remember buying Hollywood. And I bought Hollywood and Mechanical Animals together and went home and listened to them. And I remember being struck about struck by how glad well, just more glam rock they were it's than funny, anything else. As an adult, when I listen to those albums, it's pure it's pure glam rock. It's just if glam I play rock. my mum, Marilyn Manson, she's just like immediately like, Oh, this just sounds like T Rex. Yeah. It's got that kind of same yeah. you know what I mean? So that's that's one I had that I think is really interesting because he often seems to get grouped with those bands, but it's, it's just not, not true. the same. Um, Deftones are another one. Yeah, we're gonna disagree with this slightly because uh I think early Deftones, Adrenaline, I think early Deftones. Okay. Definitely. Back to School is a total... Right, way, so, back to School is an absolute new metal back song. Back to School is such an anomaly, though, right? Because I couldn't give a shit about Deftones. And then I remember seeing the video for Back to School. Being One, like, this is so cool. Was obsessed with Chino Marino. Yeah, Like, fine. thought he was the hottest guy ever. 
And then two was just like, this song is amazing. And then I remember buying Deftones albums and being like, they sound nothing like this song. Yeah, this one weird song that just, yeah, because I, and has carried like, them. I, White Pony is like my favourite Deftones record. Oh yeah, definitely. We'll not hear a bad word said against it. And where it sits in the Deftones is canon. Yeah. Um, I think that's well, surely said, most people agree with that. Like, you know... Battle School is such a weird song. It is. It is really new metal. It's though. an anomaly, but it's he even fucking metal. raps in it. Come think, on now. But I don't think they're new metal. But fine. Early um, Deftones are. It's fine. Incubus. Um, Incubus were on my list. They're, um, just, they're definitely not though. Do you not think they have elements though? No. Are you sure? Well, just because they've got a DJ. Yeah, basically. That's what. Yeah. Mm, okay, fine. I don't think they are new metal. Okay. Because I think that... I'm on the fence. Okay, fine. I don't know actually. I think it comes down to the the pattern, yeah. the way he sings it, and I know it's a bit rappy, but it's definitely not. He's singing more. No, I think Brandon Boyd can legitimately sing and hold a tune. Are you saying? Are you saying that Fred Durst is not Fred Durst is not an exceptional yes, singer in Behind Blue Eyes? Yeah, I'm really sorry. And Rage Against the Machine as well. Um, yeah, Rage Against the Machine have got quite a lot to answer for, but um, probably not new metal. Although mm, they're probably an influence. Um, yeah, this is the thing, isn't it? Because I think they are of influence to that genre, but I don't think they are. So that was my. Were I've mine. got some more. Go on, System of a Down. Oh, Tom and I had this conversation because I was listening to Toxicity last night. Great record. Um, and it's a bit new metal. It is, but I don't necessarily think. I don't it. know where you'd class them generally. This is the problem, right? It's where the hell would you class that particular? That it's the difficulty of like actually fully classing those those bands as opposed to being heavy rock. Yeah, I don't think they're new metal, but I think because new metal became so alternative pop- rock. I think if you were alternative a band metal. that was around at that time, that new metal was at its peak, you just you, got lumped into it. You just get lumped into it, and yeah. that's the thing. I don't think so. But... Can we interrupt this and just address that you actually fancied? Oh, please don't, Serge, whatever his name is. So I worked out last. That's so weird. No, but it, can I explain? Like in, in the context of like this is the Chop Suey video. I just thought it was really no. Cute. But it's a bit gross because he was 34 at the time. Uh, That's no, weird, I don't see it. No, absolutely don't That's see fine. it. In um, retrospect, I don't. <laughs> just a dad, isn't he? So that's weird. Go on. Who else have you got? <laughs> it's just a dad. Um, Puddle of Mud. No, grunge. So grunge. Yeah, they are grunge. I re-listen. So I'm in preparation for this. We were listening to Puddle of Mud last night. Listening to so much new metal. I re-listened Control. to Puddle. Yeah. I listen to Paddle Love Mud. He just wants to be Kurt Cobain. She fucking hates me. Oh, it's weird. Brilliant. Oh, he God. Just, I used to have grunge. that album and it wasn't me, good even then. Puddle of Mud reminds me more of bands like Alice in Chains. Yeah. And that kind of vibe. Yeah. Which are definitely obviously not new metal. It's grunge. Um, so one from Am's 36 Crazy Fists. Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah. Oh, God. What was that song? That, that 36 cra- Crazy Fists record is, pr- is pretty it's, catchy. Yeah. I quite like, well, I say like, no, I, I don't can, like I anymore. I don't think I've listened head, to them in about six years, but um, Stained. Oh, so should, this, is this my point to talk about Stained? You can talk about Stained, go for it. So I think when you actually listen to Stained, again, they're very heavily influenced by grunge. Grunge. Like Alice in Chains, like um, yeah. Aaron They're Stained, really shy, April. Super, they're really shy. Yeah, I know they're shit, but I was, there's a song that they did... That's called Outside, and there's one particular performance. Don't laugh at me. I'm not laughing. So offensive. I'm so sorry. There's one particular performance, one particular video of a performance. Sorry, that would get really heavily rotated on music channels when I was a teenager, and it was. I know exactly which one. It's a live performance of Outside. Yep. Done at the Family Values tour, which we shall come to. Yep. 
Um, and it's Aaron from Stained and also Fred, Fred Durst. Durst. <laughs> and I just remember being like, so the song outside is like proper emotion anyway. Yeah. Um, but I proper, remember, you, proper emotion. I remember being so deeply invested in this song that like it would come on TV and I would like legitimately cry. About I wish I had known you then. That's so good. I was like obsessed. Anyone else? Kitty keeps getting listed on it. Kitty are absolutely not new Oh, metal. no. Stephanie mentioned Kitty. Because, I don't think they are. No, I don't think they are. But I think they're just, again, we're around Spit, that particular time. Yeah, not. Um, they're just a metal band, mm-hmm. I think. Um, yeah. You know, they're um, a very seminal female-fronted metal band in terms of like bands that are around at that time. So mm. fair play to them. But I don't think they're new metal at all. Um, and Rob Zombie, which Wesley was like, yes, definitely. I... I think he means particularly Hellbilly Deluxe. Yeah, um, the albums. Probably technically they are, although I don't want to put them in that, but I don't know what else you'd put them in. Well, there's multiple things. Because it's... But I, on, on yeah, lot, early Rob Zombie. On a lot of the um, the new metal playlists I kept coming across on both Apple Music and Spotify, there was Rob Zombie of, on there. And, and White Zombie as well. Yeah, which, I think, yeah, there was a certain point of White like, Zombie, which like, was a bit... But like Marilyn Manson, There's like one though, good White I Zombie record, though. I think it's just though, like so. they were pop... Like, yeah. I think around at that time. Rob Zombie and, does have elements, but I yeah, again, not sure. Um, pretty... Bands that are definitely... New metal, mm-hmm. spine shank, oh, gross. Yep, cold chamber, gross. Yep, crazy town. Yeah, we talk about that crazy town. Album? Yeah, we. So, well, yeah. I was gonna. I've written about some of my personal favorites. Oh yes, uh, uh, albums from that particular time and bands that I was super super besotted with. Um, I didn't really like Crazy Town beyond like that one album they did another album which i was semi into because it had that revolving doors song oh that song's the ladies come ladies go through my revolving doors oh so horrible they were actually minging it was sick weren't they They were disgusting but that record is a banger it's like a wall-to-wall banger we drove were we just driving home? From I think we were just driving home from mine to yours. And we listened to it and we knew all the words. And ev- all the words. So also, the front cover with oh. the like, the, we, so we the agreed, badass lady we with agreed, tattoos. Like last night, this is like one of the new, most new metal album covers. And I'm definitely going to tweet it I'm in our tweet thread because it's, it's like to tweet that. It's the most new, new metal album cover. Yeah. It's like a girl who's like licking she's got, a lollipop. She's, she's covered in she's like got tattoos. Devil horns. She's licking a lollipop. She's licking. Oh. She's got oh. devil horns she's got piercings um i printed off like a big picture of that and cut it out and had it on my school planner did you yeah that was like the back cover of my school planner wow and i was like i'm gonna be this girl one day oh i, oh, I, I thought like oh my just God, cringed so at cool. myself she's not even real. She's a drawing. um butterfly though is a banger but they they were actual mingers um, i just would like to put you know that's a red hot chili pepper sample yes so that's just you were quite mean to so me. So red hot chili peppers are they new metal? No, they're not. But you were really mean to me <laughs> the other day about about um, Anthony Kiedis. So yeah, but he's not. He's he's a bit grim. Good for his age though. But does he though? Isn't he just like a drug addict? This is another podcast. Go on, morning <laughs> metal bands. Um, edema. Do you remember edema? Um, when Stephanie <laughs> gave me a list of like people from new metal who she fancied as a was teenager, it the lead singer of edema? I think number three or four on the list was um the guy from edema. But the way she described it was like Jonathan Davis's little brother from edema. He is basically that album. That edema album yeah. has some catchy songs on it. Yeah, that one song they did. That the one song. Yeah, the one song. The hit. Yeah, the hit. That one. Uh, yeah, disturbed. 
Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Drowning pool. Um, bodies is like unadulterated 100%. new metal hit. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Brilliant. Uh, P.O.D. Every day Christian is a new, new metal. day. <laughs> Thankful <laughs> for every breath I take. Brilliant. Yes, 100%. Disgusting. Lost Profits. Uh, the first one, the first Fake Sound of Progress. Super. So when we were talking about kind of influential albums Can of we our talk about Lost upbringing and where we then went onwards... Lost Prophets are an interesting band because I was super, 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 super into Lost Prophets. Oh my god, yeah. For like um, one glaringly obvious reason, which I don't even want to draw attention to, but if you're interested, just Google Lost Prophets. Um, They're not a particularly nice band to talk about anymore. No, of course they're not. But in terms of my upbringing and my musical history, Lost Prophets were huge Huge. for me. And they they were probably. So I've talked about how like Linkin Park and 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 Corn and Limp Bizkit were like gateway bands for me, but Lost Prophets were actually the biggest gateway band for me because um, mm. various members of Lost Prophets were like super into punk and hardcore, mm. and it was through kind of their things they would mention online and in publications and stuff with a kind of like jumping off points yeah, for me to yeah. get into other music. So, um, but Fake Sound of Progress is like super uk new metal i'm so gutted that we can't listen to that anymore but i actually can't there's no way there's no in hell way. Can listen to def- it. so that's definitely a new metal album. yeah we're we're sort of mentioning and then skipping them quickly uh mud vein are oh great soulfly yeah. are oh, i've I... put spine shank on this twice list this because list so, twice just so, so, so you metal. know they're so new metal uh static x were yeah fairly yeah uh taproot oh my god so i've written in my personal faves i've written Big into that crazy town record. Stained taproot poem. Poem, yeah. Poem. I love poem. Poem. Such a good song. Yeah. So that was a that again. That was just like what for me. That's the only one I remember actually. But yeah, there were a lot of like one hit wonders. Yeah. In new metal. They'd have like one really popular song that would have a really good video that would get really heavily rotated on various. Music Classic channels. example of that being Soil and Halo. The video for My Halo little Halo is so My good. My little Halo. Yep. The house party with all the stomping. Yeah. Well good. Um, we were discussing last night Huberstank. Um, Huberstank definitely aren't. Huberstank. Their name but, is Huberstank. Um, I get crawling in the dark. Crawling in the dark. In my head often. Yeah. Um, that was another. That was an album actually that I remember no. buying in America, listening to it and going, "There's literally no other good songs on this." No. Huberstank are very much like Incubus in that I don't think they are new metal, but they got tagged with it but yeah fine. um that's pretty much it i've got two other shout outs um just uh, one hit wonders uh that executioner song with mike shinoda is going Holy down shit. so i remember that yeah we um with regards to like, you so you were like a huge chester fan right huge chester fan i absolutely adored chester bennington that said Big Mike Shinoda. Fan. Were you a big Mike Shinoda fan? Big Mike Shinoda fan, and I was like obsessed with that song. It was so execution was a great song. Really we listened to it again song. last night, and we were like, mm, "It was pretty good." Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, and also, uh, by chance, I was discussing this uh, one track with uh, Wesley Brown the other day, and I made him YouTube watch it, and he just sat in silence afterwards and didn't want to say anything. Um, Methods of Mayhem. Uh, when they featured Tommy Lee from <laughs> Motley Crue, uh, Get Naked. Gross. Um, you're the only person I think I know of who actually remembers that song, and I was obsessed with that Doesn't song when that it came speak out. Speaks volumes about me Speaks as a person. Speaks volumes that it is a video in which Tommy Lee is I... naked on a bed 
with a remote control covering his groin for the entire thing. I was so into it. So I think that um, if we move on to kind of like personal faves, I think it's really funny to think about the role that like MTV and other music channels like Kerrang! and stuff had in terms of like my interest in new metal because i do think without them i would never have seen any of these videos or heard about any of these bands yeah um, oh yeah get naked was on all the time and that's what i mean like i said you know about how i got like super super obsessed with um one step closer video because i just happened to come across it like i would do the same for papa roach's last resort mm-hmm. like i would wait those songs used to be on like every half an hour i would wait for ages for that that one video to come on and then just like intense and when you knew it. videos like intimately like i've barely i mean do, do some bands even do music videos anymore? i could I don't probably know, recall but... from memory like every single little thing about that last resort yeah video. like it's you used to watch them on road they used to be on like every half an hour on kerrang they'd be on such a solid rotation are one of those bands when when they're at their prime um their music videos were fucking intense like so so intense in terms of like the construction of them they were grim as well and they were just terrifying it's really weird do you remember when like especially on mtv like they would show like a censored version during the day and then like after 11 they would get the uncensored you get the uncensored you could watch it at sleepovers yeah Yeah. that's what we used to do you'd be like oh my god let's wait and then we can watch all the waits for the uncensored version yeah isn't it so like you know i've said you were like big into lincoln park as was i but limp biscuit i think were the big one for me yeah i was like super 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 into limp biscuit to like an alarming degree i I was obsessed with fred durst and wes borland like it's funny that you were obsessed with fred durst because i never fancied fred durst and so many people did i fancied him so much yeah i just couldn't I, I never did. It's yeah, really funny. I never like, did. I just was so, I was just so into, so into Lincoln, uh, Limp Biscuit. sorry. Like, I really liked Lincoln Park, but Limp Biscuit were, like, my one, mm. like, significant other, like, was, was like, my record. Yeah, Trouble yeah. Starfish is very good, but, like, significant other. Is, I remember, um, it's very emblematic. Yeah, I remember new metal as well. when I went out and bought Hybrid Theory on CD, as my first, like, rock CD, um, my friend who went with me bought, she bought Limp Biscuit. I bought Lincoln Park. We went home. We listened to Hybrid Theory, and then we put on Chocolate Starfish. And the first song, we just looked at each other, and there was so much swearing it, and hot we dog. were like, "We're never going to be able to listen to this hot at dog. home." Yeah, what the fuck? Hot dog. Yeah, like we're never going to. And I think she got rid of it because she was like, "My mum's never going to let me listen to this in it's... the house on my uh, little CD player." It's funny. I remember when you, you know when you used to be able to go to HMV or Virgin, and you'd be able to get like two cds for 20 yes pounds. you know they were like really yep i would i remember buying so many like new metal albums in the metal section yeah. um yeah i never got to see them in their prime because my mum just wasn't having it i think she was a little bit scared um so that was a huge bummer for me at that age is just because i really wanted to see them live so mm. and then i obviously got far too cool for it um never got an opportunity to oh, yes, do the cool so. years the cool years just denying my new metal background and then um, shall we tell the uh, the old Limp Biscuit anecdote? Oh, such a good anecdote, yeah. So we had the opportunity to see Limp Biscuit. Um, when was it? Four years Oof. ago? Five years ago now? It was a while ago now. Oh, I reckon four years ago. About four years ago. So it was announced that um, Limp Biscuit band, who had previously been playing arenas across the globe, were coming <laughs> to the, play the UEA in our um fair city of Norwich yeah um so a big gang of us went because being the Grebos that we were we were particularly it would just be rude not to yeah it it would be quite um so like I said I was very obsessed with West Borland and Fred Durst from a young age so I was very excited yeah Um, I can see the West Borland but not the Fred Durst fine not 
that's just I can't even I can't even justify it. Um, it, it was. I mean, they were fun. Yeah, but um, that was fine. Godfred does look old, but he yes. did look old. But mm. yeah, we um were stood by the edge of the mosh pit. Yes, away from the moshers. Away from the, I'm um, old now. I don't want to get caught up in that riffraff. There's too too much hassle. Yeah. Um, and one of the tall people came over. One of the roadies. One of the roadies and was like. Fred is really concerned about you guys standing here. Like, do you want to come make and... make sure you're okay. Just want to make sure you're okay. Like, do you want to come and stand backstage by... And we were all unanimously like, we're actually Absolutely fine. no way. In no way in hell, hell do I want to go backstage and meet Fred Durst. And when we've talked about this recently, I said that, like, when I was a teenager, that would have been, like... You would have 100% done that. That would have been, like, the coolest thing to ever happen to me, ever. Like, but take we were... my clothes, I'm on my way. But, you know, um, no... No way. Absolutely no way. Wasn't going to happen. fuck off. Um, So we all declined. And then um, when Limp Bizkit were playing, it just got progressively a little bit awkward. Yeah, he just kept checking. I think being a gaggle of girls, because it was all girls, it's important to say that it was all... all... Oh, he gestured at us a few times, didn't he? It was so grim. And it's really funny how you're immediately just like, nope, not for me. No, please don't like... Yeah, please don't like touch your crotch and like gesture towards us. So there really is a lot to be said um, <laughs> to trying to revisit new metal bands live as an adult. Hindsight is a funny thing. It's a funny thing, isn't yeah. it? But I mean, I do think it's funny because I just was so like absolutely broken hearted that I never got to see them at the height of their and real you could have fame. had sex with him a few years ago. Gross. Yeah. So gross. Um. So just on the the tour front, I mean, I think that my desire to see them live definitely came from. Um, just wanting to really go to the family values. Oh my tour. god, so much! It would be really remiss to talk about new metal and family. not talk about um, the family values tour. So it started by Corn in nineteen ninety eight. Um, it featured the the Corn, obviously the Lim- Corn, the Corn, Limp Biscuit, Ice Cube, Incubus, Orgy, and Ramstein. Incubus, why? Because they're a new metal band. Oh, Ramstein were on that list as well, and I was like, Ramstein aren't a new metal band, are they? Yeah, Orgy no. definitely are. Do you remember Orgy? Orgy are definitely an Orgy, um, Orgy band. Orgy, Orgy are definitely band. an Orgy band. The year band. after, in 1999, it was Corn, Limp Bizkit, Mob Deep, Orgy, Stained, Primus, Ja Rule, Method Man, and Red Man, DMX, Filter, and The Crystal Method. Fucking hell, Ja Rule. Squad. Squad, Ja Rule. Oh. But then it's funny when you think about new metal being like metal and rap because like that's so so heavily that's rap heavy that that's really tour. rap heavy but i remember seeing videos from like the family values tour <sighs> and just being so like i can't believe i'm not going to experience this but and I, but when i've watched i watched clips on youtube yesterday and i was like horrified like was it just, not as glamorous as it seemed uh, many no years Steph, ago surprisingly it wasn't the <gasps> uh, quite the amazing fit and i just but I just, you know, it's understandable how those bands all kind of surfed that wave of popularity by kind of deciding to buddy up and do this, like, oh disgusting big arena tour together. I would have been all over that. Imagine the dickheads gone. that would have been in the crowd, uh... including us. Yeah. Um, one thing I had, yeah, one thing I had forgotten about as well was the anger management tour. Yes. Which was like yes. a counter tour that um, rivaled Family Values. It was Limp Bizkit, Eminem, Exhibit, Papa Roach. I think that, I don't know, would that have been even better? One thing I found, M&M. this is a little tidbit, was um, the inaugural uh, anger management tour was founded and started in the fall of 2000 by Limp Bizkit, Papa Roach, and after the release of the Marshall Mathers LP by Eminem, originally targeted at both rap and rock fans, the first anger management outing <laughs> took place in 2000. In the process of starting the large tour, this is gold, by the way, you'll lose your shit. I'm really hoping you haven't already seen this. No. Um, 
sorry, in the process of starting the large tour, Eminem wanted to include Nine Inch Nails into, oh the, list of, into the list of artists, but Marilyn Manson joining the tour would oh raise the issues between him and Trent Reznor. Eminem decided beef, not to ask Reznor to tour due to the friendship he has with Manson. Really? Apparently. Yeah, weird because that. Do you not? Okay, so oh, another God, thing, yeah, of course, yeah. Another thing Last I just wanted to yeah. mention. So we mentioned like the role of, of uh, music videos, but do mm. you like awards ceremonies around that yes. time were gold? There are two performances I would like to just draw attention yeah. to. One quickly, not really new metal, but just desperately want to talk about it. Yeah. When Eminem did The Way I Am. Yes. That was good. Yeah, that was brilliant. Um, it must God, I forgot about musicals. The Way I Am. Yeah, but also, sense. do you remember Besties. when Christina Aguilera performed at one of the MTV awards ceremonies. I'm trying to remember. And Fred Durst came out. Yes. And they did a song oh, together. Oh, yeah. And I can't remember which Limp Bizkit song it is. But I can't remember which song that was. Yeah. Do you remember when Fred Durst and Britney Spears were a thing as well? Yes. Um, that's why that Christina Aguilera performance is very funny. It's gross, isn't it's it? So I can't. I just on, feel girls, like Fred Durst being an actual heartthrob. I mean, I fancied him immeasurably. Like a when huge he's in amount. that behind blue eyes, is like the most vomit-inducing thing I've ever seen in my life. It's um, Stephanie and I were really besotted for a while with um, the um, "Eat You Alive" video. Oh the yeah, it's got Thora yeah. Birch in yeah. it. I just thought that was like the coolest that song. Yeah, I love that song, but it's pretty. It's not nice. It's creepy as fuck. I think one thing we haven't talked about at length is actually how creepy and disgusting new metal is lyrically. The whole thing is... Boys not, club. Yeah, it's Gross. a total boys club. I mean, are there any female... There probably are, but none that are that prominent. No. I mean, it's a good... It's I a think a lot of it... It's funny, actually, as thing. an adult, re-listening to a lot of it, that a lot of it is fairly misogynistic and disgusting, mm-hmm. um, which is probably why my mum didn't want me to go to those shows, because she realised that, like, it wasn't April, a particularly go to those shows. nice environment. They're not full of nice people. They're just not... Just not at all. Um, so, where did you go after New Metal? Not personally, like... <laughs> where did I go? It? I went to high school. Um, <laughs> no, where did I go? Um, I was a big Sum 41 fan. Sure, Fat Lip too. was yep. uh, Good. pretty important to me. I think that, personally, like, my, I got super into, like, pop punk. Yep. Um, like, Alkaline Trio, like, New Found Glory. Yep. Um, God, Newfound Glory, that first Newfound Glory record. Yeah, like I said, was super into Lost Prophets and then I got into bands like The Movie Life and Glass Jaw and like kind of, I don't know, Thursday, mm-hmm. Taking Back, like all those kind of Taking Back Sunday Brand New, mm-hmm. like all of those bands that were kind of alive. So I, I definitely went down the kind of more punk, yeah, like hot punky kind of I like went down way. more of a like, I was really big into the same time as Linkin Park. I remember just after that being really into Sum 41. Yeah. I went through a big Good Charlotte phase. We all know oh I went God, through the big Charlotte, Good Charlotte yeah, phase. Fine, um, so quite a big pop punk phase as well as listening to like him. It's, it's and... funny actually because I feel like new metal was like super, super, super popular mm-hmm. for a while. And, you, you know, you had all those bands that kind of released really, really popular albums. And then like pop punk kind of yeah. came that was like the second big. wave straight after yeah second wave of pop punk and then there was like a whole bunch of emo bands after yeah um so that's see that, when that's everyone much... went down the emo trajectory yeah. i went down like the glam goth trajectory sure, fine. so everyone yeah started listening to like taking back sunday yeah, me, and i me, started I listening that. to like adamant and queen adrena so, so that's cool. yeah that's where i went off 
Because I got slight, yeah, I got glittery super, tangent. I got so I was like, like I said, super into Neve Van Gogh, Blink, Some Point One, Good Charlotte, and then I got super into like all of those like emo bands, so, like Brand mm-hmm. New, Taking Back Sunday, Thursday, and then See, that, yeah. and then that for me is when I got into like more kind of like um, post hardcore and then like hardcore bands mm-hmm. and then punk, and then that's pretty much how I kind yeah. of made my way out. Um, but like I said, like a lot of that came from like recommendations by yeah. from people in those kind of bands that I was interested mm. in. So it's kind of I don't know. Just a... my crossover that came was like my Chemical Romance. Oh yeah. So there was like my 100%. Chemical Romance in the used as my like little crossover big bands. Fan. Big fans. Um, but yeah, I went down a, like quite a big. Yeah. yeah. I just think it's really funny to like even try and. Um, downplay the role that new metal had in my kind of oh musical god yeah upbringing. and pop bunk to be honest because i don't really i don't listen to a lot or any really i don't listen to pop punk really now no um but like at the time that he had a huge influence yeah. on me and, and i think i think that like the role that those types of music new metal especially had in kind of the upbringing of so many people i'm friends with and people our age generally is is incredibly you know, it's it's very much why we all had such a visceral reaction such a nice, to Chester yeah, passing. And it's such a nice shared experience that I'm glad I have with people. Yeah, that was one of the positive things that kind of came out of all the, the kind of discussion after mm. Chester Bennington's um, death actually was kind of seeing lots of like really elegiac like tweets and posts about people sort of saying that like, you know, say what you want about Lincoln Park, but like they were really important to me at this time and they did this, this and this. And it was, it was kind of really mm. heartwarming. So mm. that's partly why I wanted us to have this discussion really, because I think that like it obviously definitely for two young Grebos like ourselves, it definitely had a like huge ourselves, role. Yeah. Yeah. So didn't help my, uh, didn't help me in the looks department, but um, no, but aren't you I glad there are could no have straightened my hair a lot earlier than I did. Yeah. But we didn't grow up with the internet. No, this is true. Stuff, so. I'm grateful that I grew up with new metal and not with Facebook and Instagram. Baggy trousers, backwards caps, forever. Oh, yeah. Going from that transition of baggy trousers one year to like the skinniest skin tight jeans I could find like six months later. We all learn. Mm-hmm. Cool. So um, that was the pod. Uh, our final bit, as always, um, obsession of the week. Would you like to go first? My obsession of the week be honest come on is louis tomlinson's hair but <laughs> you did mention haircuts at the top of the podcast so... yeah that's probably what it was mm-hmm. um it's just a really good haircut and it makes him look very handsome so that's all i'm going to say about that that and because i've, I've been riding a big twin peaks wave again mm-hmm. the last couple of episodes um have really sort of upped the ante again mm-hmm. um and uh... i hope i know what you're about to say go on no, I don't think you do. Okay, I no. was just going to say I've sent loads of Twin Peak memes this week. Oh, okay. And so I've just been really into tweet pe- Twin Peak memes. Oh, Firewalk gonna... with memes. Firewalk. Oh, my God. Firewalk with memes. What? Why did I never think of that? Can we put some um, some of the best Twin Peak memes 100%. on Twitter? I thought you were going to tell me that you like fancied Bobby Briggs or something. Oh, no, I do fancy Bobby Briggs. Okay. There we go. Absolutely. I don't fancy James Hurley. I do fancy um, James Farley, who has always been cool. Who has always been cool. Um, I have two. Right. Um, tangentially related, but sorts of not. Go on. One is, um, one is like slightly ridiculous, but very just fine. The other is like a serious message. Oh. Um, not really, but like it's just a bit more serious. God, um, I'm the on The first like... is um, Jake Gyllenhaal's back in New York after being in Spain <laughs> for the summer. 
Um, very much enjoyed paparazzi pictures of him walking his dog around New York. Like um, leaving the gym, that sort of stuff. Leaving the gym. Thanks, Jake. And the other is um, Riz Ahmed, um, who was obviously in the Charlie XCX video in Millennial Pink with a teddy bear. Oh, my God, the best. Thanks, He's babe. the highlight of that whole video. He's the best part. But also, he did a um, performance of Sour Times as a yes. spoken word piece on Jimmy Fallon this week as a reaction to the kind of grossness of what's going on in the US at the moment. Um, and it's really, really powerful. He said that he wrote it 10 years ago. And it's incredibly relevant today. So, um, we was it really were... 10 years ago? Yeah, he wrote Sad Times 10 years ago, wow. which is like such an depressing indictment of what the world is like. Yeah. But um, we'll link to it and stuff. But it's just a very, very powerful performance, um, which I very much would recommend you viewing. Um, mm. And I just love Riz anyway. I think he's a very... Oh, Rizzy. We love you know, him. He's a real um, activist and all-round brilliant actor and musician. So thanks, what a Riz. Good sport. And thanks, Jake, for being back in New York. We love you both. Cool, so that's episode seven. Um, yep. Don't forget you can find us online on Twitter at the thirst, soundcloud.com um, forward slash the thirst pod. Um, you can obviously find us on iTunes by searching um, for the thirst. Um, head over to Instagram at the thirst pod to find us there. And of course, you can send us an email to the thirst pod at gmail.com. Um, we'll be back soon for another episode. Um, bye. Goodbye. Cut, 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 Fucking car bonnet. Boys. Boys. I've been thinking about boys. 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 What are we doing? I've been thinking about. about... Boys.